Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, the podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 25th, 2021, including... Anthem Next has officially been cancelled, Sega seems to be happy with how their games are performing on Game Pass, keep your damn politics out of my video games, and more. Last night while I was playing Call of Duty Zombies, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast as I do from time to time, and they were talking about Airbnb, whatever, it has nothing to do with the show, but they mentioned Airbnb and they were talking about, you know, the review and of the of the place they stayed at and the owners of the place, like something, something complaining about, you know, the tenants not being clean enough. Anyway, this got me thinking, you know, it seems like Airbnb is this thing that absolutely everyone is constantly bragging about and recommending to everyone as like the definitive place to stay or not even so much like recommending, but just like, it, it just seems like it's taken over, you know, culture as like the, def- the default way to stay when you're traveling now, or at least with like, like newer, hipper generations of people. So like, I, I personally have never stayed in an Airbnb before, but the very concept of like renting out someone's like vacation home or spare bedroom while they're still home or just like their apartment or some shit while they're not there it makes me like profoundly uncomfortable like I understand the whole thing is they can make it like a rentable place and make it all presentable and clean and and ideal for tenants but that doesn't change the fact that it's like you know traditionally the way you travel is you stay in like a hotel or something nice and accommodating like that and that's honestly one of my absolute favorite things about traveling is I love the hotel experience I love the smell of a hotel, like the lobby and the, just the feeling and the atmosphere of a hotel. I love a nice clean hotel room. And just that feeling of like, you know, once you've settled, like, like you're, you're traveling, you know, you get your destination, you're, you're many, many miles away from home or kilometers as our international friends might say. And you know, you, you you kick off your shoes, you unpack your shit, you take a shower, you get settled into your room. There's something really nice, especially that first night of a stay, you know, where you're just like, ah, this is like, an extra level of relaxing is just like chilling out in a nice hotel bed, you know, and just whatever the reason for your travels may be, just really enjoying the, I don't know, the kind of luxury and just novelty of staying in a hotel. It's like the thing I look forward to the most a lot when I, when I go out of town. So I just don't understand why someone was like, you know, what's really broken is the hotel industry. Like that sucks. Staying in a hotel. Don't you just hate being in hotels to meet people like me. I'm just like, no, no, I don't hate that at all. So I I understand the convenience of Airbnb, like Airbnb did to hotel stays, kind of like what Uber did to taxis in a lot of ways, although not quite as devastating, of course. But like, I just, again, it's like, I don't want to go into someone's like private home and just be like, ah, I hear your dogs like just fucking barking and your house smells like cigarettes. And you just want me to like sit in your basement and and rent that out for the week, and that will be my accommodation. Like, I understand it for, like, budgetary purposes and and for locations. Sometimes you can get, you know, a room or stay closer to somewhere you're trying to go if where you're trying to go is a little more remote and less, like, destination-like, where which is where you'd find a hotel. So I understand these these certain benefits to staying in an Airbnb, but what I, what I just don't get is 
the the preference of an Airbnb over a hotel. People who are like, oh yeah, ever since Airbnb, I I don't even stay at hotels anymore. I'm like, are you fucking crazy? It's like people saying like, oh man, I hate I hate flying. You know what I prefer to do is like I prefer to paddle boat. You know, I just like a, you know me, I just like to get in my paddle boat and find a a canal or a waterway and travel all the way from from Florida to California in, in just 14 years by uh, paddle boating over there because. Airplanes are just so expensive and mainstream and commercial and ah, big corporations and big money. I just like to keep things like low key and like chill, you know, because I'm a low key chill kind of guy. I like to paddle boat my way over to uh, fucking wherever the hell California. So I don't know. That's a bad example. But I just had to I just had to mention that because it's something that's really been on my mind now. This is an Xbox podcast. We will talk about Xbox, and I must mention at the top of the show, this is kind of a clusterfuck of a week because we have a lot of comments to get through, and and they're very good comments. I'd say, you know, if I'm comparing this week's comments quality to other weeks, I'd say this is in the the upper percentile. This is in the, um, I don't know, like the 90th percentile. I don't know if I'm using that correctly, but... Yeah, these are very high-quality comments that I'm excited to get to, but the problem is we also have a pretty heavy news week, so buckle in, boys and girls. I'm going to be up till the latest hours of the night editing this motherfucker, and you're going to be listening to it, if you so choose so, until pretty much much, um, we make it to Mars, because that's how fucking long this episode is going to be. So we'll try to cut out fat wherever possible, but let's be honest, Xbox On is almost entirely a show about fat, both figuratively and literally, so... Our first thing we want to get to here in our corrections or things to address at the top of the show kind of thing is a couple of stories that have been making the news this week that I'm labeling as vaguely political, but not news stories I really want to get into. And these are three stories, all very different from one another, but still I would classify them as vaguely political that I want to address, but not really, you know, get too into because... That would make me want to harm myself if we had to do that. So the first thing is actually something that's kind of late breaking, something that was just happening before I I, I hit the record button here, and it's that uh, Mr. U.S. President Joseph Gordon Levitt Biden has apparently made made an executive order to help address the global semiconductor shortage, which you know game games media the the always politically inept far left leaning games media that just always feels this weird need to get socially and politically involved in everything, even though their job is to cover video games, was like all on this, like, ah, President Biden saving the fucking day by helping us uh, get these semiconductors uh, into the market and back, you know, back to chip makers. And, And basically, let me explain what this means. Basically, this is just a thing that chip manufacturers need, like AMD, to help produce their chips, which would theoretically speed up production of boxes like Xbox Series X and PS5. So in a really weird roundabout way, yes, the story, I guess, is kind of about video games. But if you really read into the stories, what you find is that this has almost no direct effect on anyone out there, especially if you're someone who's like shit out of luck trying to get your hands on a Series X right now. This doesn't actually affect you because really what this is all about, you know, the the effects of of this move here wouldn't really wouldn't really solve the immediate issue, which is the shortage of Xbox Series X consoles. So I just wanted to address this because I guess some people would consider this news. It's not really news and it's not really, or I mean, sorry, it's not really video games news. It, it is news. It's just not really video games related news, but I guess, I guess your games media websites, you know, 
in their never-ending in their never-ending quest to uh, just constantly try to look for ways to be political and talk about the president and whatever. I don't know. Like you see this shit like when Trump was president too a lot, where like Kotaku's constantly looking for ways to like interject about like the president said this or like I'm like guys, your job is to like fucking talk about video games. So you know, unless it's like Joe Biden says that uh, he just finished maxing out his battle pass in Black Ops Cold War. I don't really think it's newsworthy or, you know, like Donald Trump is like, I think we should ban Mortal Kombat because when Sub-Zero does that one move, my my weenie gets all tingly and, and I don't like that feeling. So this game is banned. Like if these were the kinds of, you know, political news stories making the rounds in the video game realm, I'd be like, OK, OK, Polygon, fire away. I understand why you need to cover this. But again, this isn't really a video games related news story. This is just kind of a non sequitur. So. There's that, and that's why we're not going to go further into it. The second of these three articles is a little more directly video game related, and it is that you know Chicago law- lawmakers are you know proposing a bill that would ban the sale of violent video games like Grand Theft Auto V, blah blah blah. And without going into too much detail, this is just you know while this is obviously directly political and video game related, this is just yet the millionth time that you know someone someone in Congress or some lawmaker has been like, hey, video games are violent and they cause violence. And the reason why you have so many mass shootings is because kids play games like Gears of War and then they want to kill their their classmates in school. Duh, can't you see the connection? Fucking idiots. So the thing is, while yes, if this were the first time we'd ever seen this story, I'd be like, yeah, this is newsworthy and we could all be outraged and, and, and laugh on these fucking old goons that for whatever reason, get to run our country, you know, we'd all have a good laugh about it and uh, and talk about how stupid this story is. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, this is only the millionth fucking time, you know, the millionth fucking time we've seen this happen. And now this one's a little more specific to the city of Chicago because it is, this is, you know, in an attempt to directly combat specific crime statistics in, in the city of Chicago, like like uh, addressing carjacking and things like that in the city of Chicago. So I do understand that this is a little bit more of a specific case. But again, it's like we've seen this happen so many times, like since the 90s, where it's just like, oh, video games are violent. When bad things happen, we can blame video games. It's a scapegoat because we're old and we don't understand how things work. So... I don't want to cover this story because at this point, like anyone can just make a little jerk off motion anytime they're like a uh, political person with power uh, thinks video games are bad and are causing violence. And we're all just like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, whatever. Kids who are 12 years old are still going to fucking Fortnite floss dance everywhere and play Grand Theft Auto online and, and uh, spend their V-Bucks uh, on uh, girls from OnlyFans that are asking them to, for donations in the chat. So I just... Don't really know what all to make of that other than to say, yeah, for the millionth time, this probably isn't going to go anywhere. It's not really a big deal, but yeah, some some old man's yelling at the sky again. And then the final one here, and this is the only one that actually kind of got me involved and got me actually researching, is this one that a, a developer who works at Avalanche Software, which you guys may know because they're currently working on the new Hogwarts Legacy game, and I talk about them highly all the time because they used to be a Disney-owned studio that made the Disney Infinity games and the Cars video games and the Toy Story games. A studio I really, really love and respect from uh, from uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, their lead designer for the new Harry Potter game has come under fire this week because apparently for a couple of years he had like kind of a YouTube channel that he was you know, pretty dedicated to where his, his beat, if you will, was kind of like just bashing on the uh, social justice warrior kind of movement that was 
seemingly dying down a bit now, but pretty prevalent over the past, you know, five years or so. And so a lot of people, you know, kind of uncovering and digging up these old videos and talking about how some of the things he says could be misconstrued as as anti-feminist and just in that it's just kind of like spits in the face of the Me Too movement. But what really makes us all like just a little extra like, oh, that's shitty <laughs> is that, you know, keep in mind Hogwarts Legacy, Harry Potter game, uh, Harry Potter universe, you know, from J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling is a figure who's recently been under fire for some transphobic some comments that many consider to be transphobic. So she's under fire for that. Now this guy's under fire for the thing, his old YouTube channel, which, you know, to be fair, I haven't watched any of his YouTube videos. I meant to get around to seeing some to see what I thought of them leading up to today's recording, but I have not. So I don't really have any weigh in on whether or not I think his videos were really offensive or not. You know, just the inherent idea of poking fun at the quote unquote SJWs, which I don't, you know, normally talk about. I find that kind of comical because there are a lot of fringe and just absolutely hilarious nuts people on the internet, on certain games websites like Kotaku and Polygon and on places like Twitter and shit where they're just fucking nuts. So like basically calling you racist if you walk out of the closet wearing like a white t-shirt. So I do, I do find, you know, just in the most general sense, like making fun of that kind of movement, not the Me Too movement, but rather like the social justice warrior, quote unquote, movement to be kind of humorous because so so much of that is just cartoon problems and cartoon people making up a cartoon world. But obviously it could be, you know, again, haven't watched the videos. This could be one of those things where it's like, well, is this man actually being offensive? Is this man actually spitting in the face of the Me Too movement and actual women who were victims of actual sexual assaults and... Is this man actually saying sexist and offensive things? If so, that's a completely different story. And then to top all this off, you know, he's a man who's under fire for these specific things, making a game based on a world built by J.K. Rowling, who is a controversial figure right now. On top of all that, this is another guy who <laughs> worked on the Cars 2 video game and like quotes in his videos about how, you know, when he was working with working on with on the Cars 2 video game, he worked closely with John Lasseter, uh, who used to be a Pixar fame, um, who, of course, was, quote unquote, canceled for his, you know, sexual impropriety and misconduct at the height of the Me Too movement. So it's just like this whole trifecta of like, you know, you're under fire for this shit and you're associated with these two bad characters and it looks really bad and I kind of hate this because I really really love this studio and want to see them put out good good games and see them get good press and see them get press in recognition at all but just of course not for things like this so really sucks but uh <laughs> I mean I guess this wasn't worth bringing up since I'd never watched this video so I can't really speak to whether or not there's any validity in my opinion at least on you know the kinds of things he's talking about but I would like to put it out there that this is a big story that's been making the rounds. A lot of people, at least in the Twitter sphere where I've been following the story, seem to be pretty upset with this dude over this. And it just seems to be a lot of, you know, two things. It's people who are either A, upset because cancel everyone. Nothing can be construed in any way other than you're either a fucking virtue signaling saint or you're a fucking racist Hitler Nazi. So you get like these two ends of the spectrum and nothing in between. And then the other side of the story is people who are like, you know what I'm really fucking tired of is this kind of shit. I just, uh, I kind of want to just like go make a bologna sandwich and, uh, lay on the couch and contemplate death because the world sucks. So I feel like those are really the only two takes coming out of this, which is 
I think the the kind of conversation, the climate around these things has changed so much in, in recent years because before it seems like this is the kind of thing where everyone will be talking about it, but now it seems like you still got like the far fringe characters talking about it and you got the rest of the people who just seem very tired, just ready to take a nap and maybe, I don't know, just fucking go to Wendy's, get a four for four and forget about it all. So I don't know. I'm not, this is not me taking a stance, defending one side or the other. I just want to say there is your polygons and your... Kotaku's going out and uh, sharing their amazing video game reporting as per usual by just finding people to dig up dirt on and, and shit all over, which is, I mean, I guess that's video games journalism in a nutshell, but those are the little political jabs, and, and part of why I wanted to bring that up is just because of, you know, depending on the story, it was either gaining a lot of traction or it was, you know, something that is a little more specific to video games, like in the... Uh, case of the Chicago one with the banning of video game sales to minors but our first story of the day is also actually a little political so I wanted that to be a little warm-up now all of those things were really inane boring things to talk about but the the actual first story we have for the news this week is something I actually have something of value to add to it and something I'm excited to talk about so that's the little the little warm-up for our Xbox podcast it's all about Microsoft's number one gaming console, but we're going to get a little political this week because the news calls for it. But first, before we can do that, before I can make you all turn off the show, uh, allow me to first jump into a a little comments, a a couple shout outs, a couple of questions, concerns, thoughts, dare I say, notions, what have you. Anyway, you know how the commenting works. You go over to YouTube.com, you look up Second Best Gaming, that's my channel, hi, that's me. You look for the Xbox on Podcast playlist, you'll see the latest and greatest episodes. Leave a comment on the latest episode, I will probably read it on the show, especially if you've never commented before. And then everyone can talk about what your opinions are regarding Mountain Dew or Taco Bell, because it seems like those are pretty much the only things we talk about. In order, it seems to be roughly something like we talk about Taco Bell, we talk about Mountain Dew, we talk about Star Wars, and then maybe sometimes Xbox. So... Leading off the comments this week comes first-time writer Tech Daddy K, which first of all, I just want to say Tech Daddy is a great name, so welcome to the show, Tech Daddy. Thank you for introducing another great commenter name. But your first comment here says, how long does a ban last? I'm just asking for a friend. Well, Tech Daddy, I at first I didn't know the answer to this because, of course, I'm not the one who handles banning or canceling. That is Sarugi's uh, position. And so he would probably be the expert on that one. But if I had to guess, I would assume that since this is an Xbox on pod, this is the Xbox on podcast, the typical ban from the Xbox on uh, comment section uh, probably lasts around 360 days. Or if you're on really good behavior, uh, we can reduce that to 343 days. So that's my answer to that. Now, next you also ask, I'm definitely all in for a community game night idea. I'm actually doing my first ever playthrough of the Halo series and could use some pointers. You could start the game night with Master Chief Collection. I'm still in combat evolved and while it's enjoyable, the whole thing feels sluggish, movement, gun, okay, etc. I'm on a Series X. Does it get better? All right, Tech Daddy. So first of all, thank you for being what seems like the like 10th person, probably not that many, like maybe seventh person to mention being up for the idea of a community game night. Remember, I'm going to wait till I got maybe a couple hundred thousand of you begging for game night so that when I finally give it to you, it's going to make you all have that, that release you're looking for. So, you know, I, I want that pent up demand for this community game night. I want to feel wanted and special. So we're going to, I'm going to withhold it. And let's just say, while it's going to be really tough to get through now, it's going to be really pleasuring when you finally get that sweet release. Now, as for 
your comments here regarding Halo. Congratulations, you have uh, officially joined the light side here by embarking on the amazing journey that is the Halo uh, franchise. And now, yes, I'm, I'm going to get off here and say something a little controversial because, you know, so much of the Halo community has become, in my opinion, like the Zelda community where it's like, we all have to pretend that the first entry in the game is like this special thing that we all grew up with and that we'd be nowhere in life without. But let's be super honest, okay? Halo 1 was obviously a phenomenon. It's, it's the reason why the Xbox brand exists today. And yes, so many, so many, so many Halo fans have Halo Combat Evolved to thank for their love of Halo, for their love of Xbox. And I'm not going to try to take away the impact that that game had on so many gamers' lives. But if we're being actually honest and not just lying because we want to seem like OG Halo fans. The fact of the matter is Halo Combat Evolved came out long ago enough that that's only a that those initial experiences growing up playing Halo Combat Evolved only really represents a certain section of the Halo community. Let's let's just be honest, okay? I was around when Halo Combat Evolved came out. It wasn't the Halo game that made me fall in love with Halo. I played it. My step, my my brother-in-law had it, and he'd bring it over to our house, and I play couch co-op or uh, multiplayer with my brothers and my and my brother-in-law. And I would have fun with that, and it was a whole thing. But that wasn't how I fell in love with Halo. And I played Halo 2 because by the time Halo 2 rolled around, my brother picked up an Xbox, and my brothers and I would just play that show on multiplayer all the time. I played a lot more than Halo Combat Evolved. But again, that wasn't how I fell in love with Halo. I fell in love with Halo just for, you know, for the simple fact that I was born in 1995. I fell in love with Halo around the around the time of Halo 3, maybe just before Halo 3, but it hit at that perfect time where I was like 10 years old, 11 years old, and, uh, you know, it came out at the time where it wasn't about me and my brothers playing on the couch, beating each other up. It was about, you know, me and my friends at school and sleepovers and, like, birthday parties, and Halo 3 was always there. So, you know, I I'm using myself as an example because... You know, I'm someone who claims to be an Xbox OG fan. I love, I loved Xbox, you know, for as long as I played it. But I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you and act like I was in college smoking pot and drinking doobies with my buddies in dorm rooms and having massive LAN parties and we were playing Combat Evolved into the latest hours of the night humanly possible until it was so late that it was light out. Because that's just not the case. The case, the, the the fact of the matter is, I've I've had experience with Halo since it was new, but it wasn't really till Halo Three came out that it hit for me. And so maybe that's why. You know, I sit here and I tell you Halo 3 is my favorite Halo, but the whole reason I bring up that preface, that that, that super uh, overindulgent and, and too detailed preface, is to let you know that I'm right there with you, man. You know, I go back and I play Combat Evolved and Halo 2, and I replay the Halo games maybe like once a year, once every other year, the campaigns that is, and I, and I always think the same thing. I'm like, you know what, Halo Combat Evolved... You can play it and you can see why it was so impactful for the time and you can see what makes it such a great game. But let's not sit here and lie to ourselves and be like, oh, from a gameplay perspective, I just want to sit down and play Halo Combat Evolved. Fuck Halo 3. Fuck Halo 5. From a gameplay, from a level design and gunplay and mechanics perspective, those games are absolute trash. Nah, I like Halo Combat Evolved because that's where it's at. It's like, no. I mean, of course the Halo franchise evolved and got better over time, and yes, it gets a lot better. Halo 2 feels like an improvement over Halo 1 in a lot of ways, and in some ways it feels like a setback. Halo 2 is a lot more linear, but yes, it's a lot more action-y, corner-to-corner, a lot less like corridor, just kind of endless hall, or more endless halls than Halo 1, if you will. And then I think by the time you get to Halo 3, that's when they perfect it. Everything feels 
faster than Halo Combat Evolved. Most importantly, feels a lot more fluid, and the, just the oh, the tuning of the controls and the physics and everything in that game is masterful. And and it, the best thing about Halo Three is it melds together the more open sandboxy levels of Halo One with the more linear objective stuff of Halo Two, and it and blends that perfectly so that levels feel like they're like big and open-ended and approachable but not so big that you lose focus on where to go and what to do um as you can sometimes do in, in combat evolve so yes it gets a lot lot better and then once you get into 343's halo games with four and five it gets a lot faster a lot more twitchy and modern and, and of course that's where you get into the territory of why some halo fans are really constantly bitter at 343 and why they can't you know sleep at night because they feel like 343 killed their baby but the fact of the matter is if you are a newcomer to the Halo universe and you don't have all this baggage of years and years of shitting on 343 because it's the cool thing to do, it's the thing Reddit told you to do, I think you can actually come in and really, really appreciate the fuck out of Halos 4 and 5 because you'll play those games and you'll say, wow, these are these feel pretty modern and robust instead of being like, wow, this isn't exactly what I played in 2004, so now I'm pissed off because I want more of the same thing all the fucking time because I'm an entitled asswipe. So... Yes, it gets better, and yes, it, or I should say, yes, it changes. Yes, things feel different, and the game evolves, uh, no pun intended. So I only said to say, you know, you have the advantage as a newcomer to the Halo universe of being able to form your own perspective and opinion based on playing all these Halo games in the year 2021, having the experience and the relevancy and the understanding of what the gaming landscape looks like in 2021. So the first time you're playing Halo, uh, you, you know what... PUBG is, you know what fucking uh, Rocket League is, you know what uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance is, and no one knew what the fuck those things were back when Combat Evolved first came out, so you have all this modern game design understanding and concept, and you'll be able to, to apply that in unique ways as you journey through the Halo franchise, and I think that will lead you to have some unique perspectives and understanding of what the Halo universe has to offer, because you don't get to go back in time and erase the memories and the understanding you have of gaming today and experience combat evolved when it was the latest and greatest thing to happen to video games. So that's really cool. And that's really unique. And I would appreciate it. You know, if you're interested in reporting back kind of as you play through the games, letting us know what you think, does it get better? Do you think it gets faster and more fluid? Do you think it loses its, its identity? Do you think three, four, three fucks it all up? You, you, you tell us tech daddy, because after all, you know, I'm a I'm an old school daddy. I'm not a tech daddy. I'm not cool. You know, I don't got the latest tech. I'm not Mr. Inspector Gadget, Mr. Tech Daddy. We need you to tell us how it is because, I mean, tech da with a name like Tech Daddy, I can only assume you carry around a Samsung Galaxy Fold Z Flip, whatever the fuck it's called. So next up, guys, we have a wealth of Sarugi, a very welcome change. Mr. Sarugi, our comment moderator, our Let's be honest, our lover boy. I just I always assume Surugi has a six pack. I don't know if that's true, but let's be honest, he probably has a six pack. But you know, he doesn't always comment. But when he does, it's a it's a welcome addition to the show. And this week, he's gifted us with a slew of comments. So let's just jump into the what I'm going to call the Surugi Hour. And uh, his first comment here is that Dead Captain James is teetering on the edge of cancellation for his comments about Pepsi. Just lucky he's more of an OG than I am, you say here, Sarugi. Well, that is true. Dead Captain James is the OG of Xbox On. In fact, there's only one person more OG than Dead Captain James, but I had to block that guy because he was some creepy 50-year-old guy who used to just insult me for everything I said on the show. So he's banned, but, you know, after that guy was Dead Captain James. So Dead Captain James is the first person to ever support and vocalize anything about the show that, you know, I... 
I really acknowledge, although I guess I did just acknowledge the other guy. So, yes, we cannot ban Dead Captain James. He's unbannable, and I'm afraid, you know, even though I too was offended by his Pepsi comment, his slanderous Pepsi comment from last week, I'm afraid that he is a man that only God himself can cancel. So nothing we can do there, Sarugi. Now, next up, you say, I'm not up on all the tech that Tesla have in their cars, but wouldn't it be slightly counterproductive to be draining the charge on the vehicle, playing Xbox in your car while you're waiting on your vehicle to charge? Uh, I, I worded that poorly. That wasn't you. I, I read that pro- poorly. So just want to put that out there. But n- no, Sarugi, that's not really how it works. You know, uh, not again, not that I expect you to know. It's not your job to be a Tesla enthusiast here, but... No, these Tesla cars have like 100 kilowatt hour batteries. They're massive, massive batteries. And while technically, in theory, yes, the batteries work similarly to like how an iPhone battery works or whatever, it's uh, no, like the, the, the battery consumption drawn by using the display or playing video games or watching TV on the display, I mean, of course it draws battery, but not in the way that like playing xCloud on your Android device drains battery. So, I mean, yes, are you going to get less range on your car if you're playing a video game on your Tesla, yeah. Is it going to be significantly worse and your car is like just going to constantly drain? It's like, oh, three hours later, I, I only was able to drive 20 miles uh, because I played two hours of Witcher 3 sitting in my car like a fucking idiot. So, no, that's not going to happen. That's not how that works. So, you'll still be able to get plenty of plenty of range, plenty and plenty of range and, and to be able to charge up pretty fast while at a supercharger network or a station, even if you're playing a game because those superchargers, the voltage on those things is insane. They can, again, charge a 100 kilowatt hour battery in like, 30 minutes, you know, so uh, if you're talking about one of the more modern um, supercharged stations, so no and yes, I mean, technically, yes, it sucks at battery, uh, but also it's it's a little more negligible than you think, well, not entirely negligible. Now, Mr. Sarugi, this is your hour, so let's continue on with your comments. You say, as Taco Bell doesn't really have much of a presence here in Australia, I can't in good conscience cancel EA's King 117, and you may remember last week he said he had never had Taco Bell. I know, gasp. Uh, Surugi continues, I think there is only like three stores within two hours of me and none of them are on my regular route. My first and only time having been to Taco Bell was back in 2005 when I visited Seattle. So Surugi, I just want to mention of everything you say there in that comment, the, the key quote here is the only time I had Taco Bell was back in 05 when I was in Seattle. So you have had Taco Bell and I think that's all the cleansing you need. I think, you know, you should have Taco Bell more often if you can, but the fact that you have had it and it's been a solid 15 years means that it has had the time to get into your system and do its thing and break down on a molecular level and have its and have its impact on your on your being and on your uh, chromosomes and cellular uh, 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 makeup. So yes, I think you have a, a bit of Taco Bell in your DNA. And I think you're saved, and I think you're good. You're free from cancellation, free from going to hell. But you know, it does. It wouldn't hurt to put a cheesy gordita crunch in the old gas tank every now and then. You know what I mean? So Sarugi, continuing on with the Sarugi Power Hour, says, if we're talking about other podcasts we listen to, as I was mentioning, you know, the podcast I listened to last week, Sarugi says, I listen to Xbox On, obviously, the Xbox Two podcast. I believe that's the one Jez Corden does with Windows Central. Uh, the Xbox. Uh, era podcast. I've heard of it. Don't know anything about it. Fat Man Beyond. I've never heard of that, but that's a fantastic name for a podcast. Podcast Unlocked, which is, of course, IGN's 
uh, Xbox podcast. Uh, Castle Super Beast, I feel like I've heard that before, but I have no clue what it is. Uh, you listen to Press Start, which never heard of that as well, but I can assume by these names that these are pretty much all video game podcasts. You listen to What's Good Games, which I, I've heard them before. That's that um, that's that Patreon with uh, God, I forget her name, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've 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 listened to her one of the, one of the girls from that show. I listened to her on a couple of podcasts uh, with a guy I, I listen to a lot, and she's in, she's interesting. She's a Actually, does Christine Steimer do with uh, What's Good Games? Man, that's that's driving me nuts. I think Christine Steimer is is part of that group. I don't remember, but I, I'm I'm a little more familiar with what that is. And then you say you listen to My Favorite Murder, which is either a, a, a Hitman podcast about the video game franchise Hitman, or it's just not a video game podcast. I, I guess that's a possibility as well. And you say you also listen to a whole bunch of sports podcasts, and you say apparently I find the time to listen to all of that. I find that listening to other Xbox podcasts, the ones I listen to don't all spout the same nonsensical opinions. So that's good to hear a few different views on, or to, on topics of the day. So that's that's nice. It's nice that you get, especially because you listen to so many Xbox shows, you get a nice range of opinions. Um, and I think it's awesome. I'm not, you know, I, I'm trying to not be the jealous type. I'm not here to tell you I have the best Xbox podcast. Don't listen to anyone else. I think there are better Xbox podcasts if you want something to be informative. Uh, in fact, I recommend the Defining Duke podcast. That's a pretty good Xbox podcast as well. But just tell me. Just tell Daddy what he wants to hear. Am I your favorite? I'm your favorite, right? All right. Next, you say, I need closure. Did you ever continue with Cyber Shadow? Sarugi, the answer is no. I No, I did not. Now, it's not because of the achievement thing. It's actually because the game got really fucking hard and I lost my patience and I fell out of uh, the mood. So that's what happened. And now I'm very stressed out with video games. And we'll get into this with the what I've been playing uh, segment. But I'm very stressed out with what I'm playing right now. Because there's a lot of, I gotta play this, gotta play this. Oops, I missed my chance with that. Now this is coming out, going on for me right now. So Cyber Shadow got lost in the shuffle. It's nothing against the game. But no, I did not get back to it. And yes, I feel bad. Because I think, up until I stopped playing it, I think it was my game of the year so far. But, uh... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not playing it right now, sorry. And then your last, you know, final comment for the Sarugi Power Hour is that you say, I'm the exact same when it comes to full completion of games. If I'm enjoying the hell out of a game, then I'll gladly continue through and get it all. 127 hours into Valhalla and still going strong. Did the same with Spider-Man back in 2019. Uh, it feels like the grind... If it feels like a grind, then I won't bother. Yeah, I think that's how it works. I, I feel like there's just so many people out there who are like, serious achievement hunters or like i don't know they just get so invested in like these open world games that they're able to do everything in the game and it makes me kind of jealous sometimes because i'm like maybe i'm not good at managing my time my gaming time because i don't even know how some people get so much done in so many video games all the time i feel like there's some people who are just always up to date playing all the latest games or completing everything in every game that they like and i'm just like I can barely fucking find time to get like three matches of Slayer in on Halo 4. So like, what the what the hell is happening here? But yeah, I'm with you, Sarug. All right, that's going to do it for our Sarugi Power Hour. Now we'll get into the rest of the comments, the rest of, you know, your plebeian comments. Again, we got to move a little faster this week, guys, because uh, we got a, a chunky bit of news to get to. You guys remember Chunky Brother? Whatever happened to him? Anyway, uh, EA's King says, As a cultured Japanese person, I drink Ramenu soda. It's a Japanese soda. And then you also say, Pokemon isn't lame. As a Japanese person, I am offended. Well, EA's King, now I'm starting to wonder, uh, by chance, are, are you possibly Japanese? Because, uh, I don't know, Just a, it's just a hunch here. But all joking aside, I know what ramen soda is. We, it, it, You can easily find it in any like Asian supermarket. And sometimes you can even find it at, like 
don't know. Like, where do you find it? I feel like when I lived in Atlanta, I could I could find it pretty easily. There are a lot of places you could find it. I think even like a fucking Kroger had it sometimes. But yeah, I, I've had ramen a bunch. It's with the, the marble soda where you push down the cap and the little marble pops in there and you get the fuzzy little soda. Um, we had this one Japanese soda at my old job, my the Japanese restaurant I worked at called Mount Fuji. And it was like this, it tasted kind of like a berry Sprite drink is how I would describe it. Um, but it was like made from yams instead of like high fructose corn syrup, but you would never know from the taste. And it was like, it was so good. It just didn't take, it didn't taste like super syrupy, but it still had like the flavor of like a decent, you know, like a Mountain Dew or Sprite citrus soda whatever it was it was so good mount fuji soda it's expensive as hell to import though but yeah i mean i've had ramen it's good stuff your pokemon comment here i want to be clear ea's king i don't hate pokemon uh pokemon as a franchise pokemon as a video game specifically i really don't hate it all in fact i used to really like pokemon especially as a child and up until maybe just a few years ago what i'm what i'm really tired of with pokemon what i really can't stand about pokemon isn't the the games it's not even the franchise it's not even nintendo's association with it it is pokemon fandom pokemon is nintendo in general but especially pokemon is so painfully indicative of like this 90s kid culture isn't it so cool to be nostalgic and 90s kid and i I don't mean to shit on people who enjoy pokemon because it is a it is a property that has that has earned its you know appeal and its and its respect because these are good games. It was a unique phenomenon when it came out. You know, it's Pokemon has, you know, the Pokemon company has worked hard to justify the enthusiasm for the brand. But I personally just get so drained. Like the way I feel about Pokemon when I see someone like, like talking about a Pikachu or a Pokemon Go or a fucking uh, McDonald's Happy Meals or whatever it is, the Pokemon stuff. It, I get like the same level of like, shut the fuck up. I'm cringing. As I get when someone's like, I'm a baby Yoda. I like I like to drive my 2017 Nissan Rogue and uh, slap a baby on board sticker on the back. But the baby is baby Yoda because I'm so cute. I love nerd culture. I'm such a fucking nerd when I go to GameStop. I buy Funko Pops because I'm a nerd and I went to Comic-Con one time and I posted Facebook pictures. So you know I'm not afraid to admit to all my friends and family and people I went to high school with that I'm a little bit of a nerd. Sorry, everybody. Sorry if I'm just so weird and quirky. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Pokemon brings out, like, the worst in me when it comes to just, like, wanting to drill. Like, I f- like Pokemon's a thing, like, I expect the kids at H&M who just, like, look all cool and maybe don't even play video games but just want to be associated with, like, a culture in a, in a, in a decade and they just wear, like the oversized Pikachu sweater that looks like they thrifted it from Goodwill or some shit like that. It's like, that's that's Pokemon. I associate it with all of that. And I feel like so much of the purity of, like, the game itself has been just, like, robbed from me. And I just, I can't get past the Pokemon culture at this point, if that makes sense. So that's my hatred for Pokemon. I, I like Pokemon. I played every mainline entry up until Sun and Moon, which was only a few years ago, right? That game came out, like, 2016, 2017. So I've played pretty much every entry. I just haven't played the sequel to Sun and Moon or whichever the fuck the one Sword and Shield on Switch. I haven't played those ones, but... And I don't plan on them, to be honest with you, because the more and more I play them as I get older, the more I'm like, you know what? This isn't even Pokemon's fault. I'm just not a Japanese role-playing fan. And Pokemon is like, what if you removed what makes a Japanese role-playing game good, which is like story and character development, and you just made it about the gameplay, which is the worst part about a Japanese role-playing game, which is just the fucking 
battling and grinding and all that bullshit. I'm like, okay, so what you're telling me is, you know, Pokemon has its appeal, you know, the catch them all, the collectibles, the cute little animals, but the games are kind of the worst of both worlds. It's like bare, bare bones to no story at all. Plus really heavy emphasis on like baby's first RPG mechanics. So the game has like no challenge or no dynamicism, dynamicism to it. And it's just like, what the fuck is this? Why, why, why am I still playing this? Why am I still playing a Pokemon game? So that's kind of my take on that. But I'd be a hypocrite if I said I didn't love Pokemon. When I was a kid, I fucking loved it. I still have shoe boxes with like thousands of Pokemon cards somewhere in storage. And I've, like I said, I've, I have pretty much every Pokemon game from from blue up until sun and moon somewhere, you know, in a Nintendo cabinet that I don't touch anymore. So, yeah, and I don't hate Pokemon. I just hate Pokemon culture because I'm a hip little fucking uh, hater boy. Nintendo responses. Now, s- some of you wrote in about my my rant about Nintendo last week. Sam Torres says, Nintendo, they keep doing these they keep doing these Boeing man tells you something neat sessions that I just don't have any reason to take them seriously or play, play my switch. They need to unchain them. The hounds they torture in the basement and give us some Metroid F zero or Sega ages like collections. Fuck that happy Boeing dude. I don't even know who you're talking about. <laughs> I want some do with colossal boils. Do you mean balls? Colossal balls, red eyes and irregularities in his stool. Bring me Nintendo bullet man. Sam Torres, I'm not even going to pretend I understand that one because I, I just don't. Uh, maybe that's just a, a miss on my part. But what I what I am going to say here is, if I think I'm interpreting some of this right, and I think I am, yeah, Nintendo just doesn't fucking bring the fire anymore. They're so overly reliant on like the same five fucking games. They're just like, all right, new console, what can we do? Okay, we'll do a Mario Kart, we'll do a Smash Brothers, we'll do a 3D Mario, we'll do a 3D Zelda, and eh, fuck it, give him an Animal Crossing or something like that. And it's like, okay, there's your games. Bye. Oh, shit, they're still asking for more games. Well, what are we going to give them? It's like, well, we have F-Zero. Shut the fuck up, don't say that. Uh, here's Mario Tennis. And I was like, ah, oh, that didn't make him happy. What can we give him? Oh, fuck. Um, how about a... Uh, seven-year-old port of a fucking Wolfenstein game that ran better on Xbox 360 back in 2014, and uh, the only selling point will be you can play it on the go in the middle of a pandemic. Fucking masterpiece. Nintendo's so smart because they put the big game on the small screen, and everyone's like, yeah, I guess we gotta spend $60 on this because, I mean, fuck, I couldn't acknowledge this game on my 360 for seven fucking years, but I guess now that it's on Switch, I gotta give a shit about it, and then... I don't know. That's Nintendo, man. I just they don't they don't put games out. They have a bunch of IP they refuse to use. They have the endless potential to make new IP, which they just refuse to do. But you know, at least there's gonna be another Smash Brothers character with a sword coming soon enough. You know. And then Adam Zisa says, "Oh, how much you suck! Everyone loves remakes, remakes from the remakes that were already in HD version, and there will be more to come." P.S. I love Nintendo and Cola. P.S. 2, I'm kidding, but not P.S. 2 like the PlayStation 2. P.S. as in like a second postscript, but I love Nintendo anyway. Well, Adam Z, so you're fine to love Nintendo. I don't I don't blame you. Like, I, like I've said many times on the show before, I was a Nintendo fanboy forever. I, I still, to this day, miss being a Nintendo fanboy. Like, I still wish I had the same admiration and appreciation and love for Nintendo that I used to have. Like, I'm... I feel like I lost a part of myself by becoming bitter towards Nintendo, but I just, I don't know what some, some brand, some, something in my brain just snapped 
a few years ago and I just lost it with Nintendo. And now I think it's like a, a little bit like some repressed desire from Nintendo from when I was a fan, like to, to see them do the right thing and do something cool for once and just to watch them continuously fail on the easiest fucking things to do, you know, just watch them constantly drop the ball and not do the things they could easily do to make people happy. And it's just like, after enough of that, you, you get to a point where you're just like, you know what? I'm better than this. I don't need this. Let me go play a platform that hasn't been like teasing fans with what they want and grabbing them by the balls and selling them the same bullshit for a hundred years. Let me go to Xbox. Cause you know what Xbox does? They at least let you have a fucking normal ass friends list without friends, co friend codes while you're playing, you know, your millionth Forza game, you know, at least on Xbox, I don't have to beg and plead for achievements because they, they have them. It's always been there. So yeah, sure. I'm just playing, you know, Gears Forza, Gears Forza, Halo, Gears Forza, Halo. But at least while I do it, it looks pretty, runs pretty, and I have a robust online infrastructure. So suck it, Nintendo. Anyway, Mr. Miggy, on the subject of Xbox and Call of Duty, this is the vague subcategory I've put here for the comments. Mr. Miggy says, I'm actually the scientist who figured out who figured out how to play Series X version of Cold War on my Series X. Uh, and even though I only bought the Xbox One version, it's running flawlessly now, aside from Quick Resume not working. Yeah, it doesn't work for me either, Mr. Miggy. Out of all the gaming podcasts I listen to, yours is by far my by far the best. Also, I need a new headset. I, ju I just returned with the one I bought and pre-ordered the new Xbox wireless headset. So two things here. Thank you for flattering me, and fuck you for being able to get the headset that I was unable to pre-order. I can't be happy for you. I must be jealous of you. Fuck you, Mr. Miggy. Sarugi, ban this man. But Mr. Miggy, you are now unbanned. It's been 343 days, in my opinion. Joe Murphy says, I was looking for a headset for my Xbox. I heard about the new one. So I went to the Microsoft store or .com, and I was able to order the new Xbox Bluetooth headset. So middle of March, I'll get to test that out. It's a great price, too. Sarugi, uh, have this man banned because I wasn't able to get a pre-order for the Xbox. Xbox headset, but he was, and that makes me jealous. I can't just be happy for my fellow Xbox friend. I gotta be jealous of him, so please arrest him or ban him or whatever the fuck it is you do, sir. You please and thank you. Alright. Dead Captain James says, Damn it, Jesse, you made me cave. I've been so busy with my wife and kids and teaching that I barely have time to play anymore, but I broke down and bought Call of Duty Cold War on your recommendation. Holy hell, it's the most fun I've had in a Call of Duty in a long while. Thanks for the peer pressure, lol. Well, Dead Captain James, thank you for caving in and buying it. Again, you know, Activision's a small startup. They need all the support they can get, so it really helps a lot when you make the decision to to purchase one of their games. But more importantly than that, I, I just I know I'm not wrong here. This is not just my nostalgia talking. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is like I've played enough of it now. I, I checked my log time. I played like 50 hours of the game, and I'm embar I'm embarrassed to admit that, but not really. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is the best Call of Duty since Black Ops 2. Best Call of Duty since Black Ops 2. That means in eight fucking years, it's the best Call of Duty. I think it deserves it. And, and I understand, like, the more and more I, I get into this game and, and realize how much everyone else seems to hate it, it's that the real Call of Duty community, well, they just seem to be unhappy about everything. So maybe they're secretly just the Halo community. But the real Call of Duty community seems to just constantly want the evolution and want things to get more realistic and gritty and nerdy and the thing is black ops cold war peels back so many of those layers especially things that were introduced by modern warfare 2019 and i think that's why there's so much hatred around it is because what black ops cold war does and so effectively and what makes it so fun for me is it really strips down the call of duty experience again to kind of just being like yeah, leveling up, prestiging, unlocking guns and attachments, shooting shit, it's fun, just like, 
You know, you run around the map, you see a guy, you shoot at him, all the guns feel kind of arcadey and a little over the top with their balancing and a little like wonky and weird and unique. And it's fun as hell. You know, I play a game like Modern Warfare 2019, which I actually re-downloaded about a week ago and played like two multiplayer matches just to get a feel for it so I could compare it with Black Ops Cold War. And that's exactly what it is. It's like Modern Warfare is so nitty gritty, realistic. The time to kill is so low. All the guns have like these really minute, but like, but like also nerdy kind of differences that like people who are really tuned into the game can understand. It's all very nuanced, but Black Ops Cold War is just like, here's a rifle that can like snipe from halfway across the map. Cause it's kind of OP, but it's also really fun to play with. And here's the MX four, which is just like cartoonishly uh, stable and has great range for a, a rifle. And here's the spa shotgun, which is just like an ungodly weapon at close range. And uh, RCXD is a fun kill streak because who doesn't want to drive an RC car around a fucking map and blow things up. And it just feels so fast and frantic and cartoony and just fun. It, it, it captures the spirit of what made world at war and black ops and modern warfare two. So fun is that it had the perfect balanced gameplay while also just like, not being super nitty gritty realistic and it doesn't fall into the traps of like being gimmicky with like the wall running and the double jumping, the floating or the uninspired level design of like world war two or any of those kinds of games. It's just like pure fun call of duty. And because it has that 1980s cold war setting, it feels so black ops one. And it just feels so by way of that call of duty. It just feels like the series is back to what made it so special. The gameplay, the setting, the the variety there it's just all so modern and accessible while also just being like classic and and just fun it's 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 a really really good game and i i will keep proudly beating this drum especially as people like my brother consistently shit on it and just with like absolutely no without any real thought or analysis being put into it just kind of lazily be like all Call of Duty is the same fucking game, man. This game is shit. It's stupid. It's like, no, you're, I, I just refuse to believe you're right about that. I think lapsed Call of Duty gamers, you know, if you if you are someone who truly liked Call of Duty 8 to, 12, 8 to 10 to 12 years ago, and you haven't played the franchise really with any, like, true emphasis or time or interest in, in recent years, I think Cold War would be the game to bring most people back. It really, truly is the most just like authentically fun Call of Duty experience in so long. And I'm I'm standing by that, man. I just finished grinding out the battle pass, and I'm super excited for this new zombies mode that drops actually the day this podcast goes up. So like, they got it with this game, man. I just, I don't know what to say, man. I'm going to keep defending the COD. But Flips Mad Max, uh, who I think might be a new commenter, unless that's I'm in the crib with your grandma or whatever, uh, because it's a similar picture. It says, I'm hyped as hell right now. Managed to snag a Series X since coming next week. And I got a new Pulse Red controller ordered too. Great show, second best. Well, Flips, thank you for commenting in. And if it, if it is your first time, thank you for being a part of our show. But also, I just wanted to read that because I'm just ha- I'm just ha- happy for you. I know it's a hard time right now to, to get a Series X. It's difficult, but uh, I just want to share that positivity and just say, hey, that's awesome for you. I hope that console lives up to all the hype and expectation for you and that it serves you well because it's exciting getting a new console. So that's awesome. And then we got a little short novella here from Mr. X Burke. Um, 
we're gonna have to we're gonna have to I'm I'm so sorry, expert, but we're gonna have to trim this down because the show's going long and this is a long ass novella you've written here. You say good good day, Jesse. I had a great time catching up with your podcast today. Wish it could be on top of it weekly, but I believe shows with a personal touch deserve full attention. Playing it in the background uh, would be disrespectful. Expert, I don't give a shit how you do it, but catch up on the show. Don't ever be behind. I will see too. I will have I will have my men uh, monitor you closely and ensure that you are up to date. So let this be a warning to you. Now, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to skip on a little bit. So your main question, looks like it's this. You say, moving on, I also caught up on my Xbox Twitter feed with continued frustration. Without fail, every time Microsoft makes any sort of positive effort, they get slammed. The biggest example was simply announcing the FPS boost from last week. Somehow, some way, this is a negative thing for many who don't even play Xbox. I'll never get it. How on earth is something that is completely free, not only to players, but developers, spawn such ridicule? And I can tell you this. If I was the type of person who crews product sites, cutting up items I don't even use, I'd like someone to do the world a favor and cap my ass. This also got me thinking of where many of these content creators and gaming podcasts would be without Xbox. It seems 95% of the time it's cutting up Microsoft news for useless reasons. I'm guessing since two of the big three choose not to provide information readily, Xbox Visceral is the only way to fill the time. Without it, their shows would be over in minutes. Just to be clear, like you, I don't bow my head to Xbox on every move they make. They have plenty of misguided decisions to last a lifetime. On the other hand, when the company clearly tries to get the right ship when the company tr- clearly tries to get on the right ship it should be applauded so expert i agree and disagree with what you're getting at here so and let me i guess get into that real quick i always say real quick like i'm gonna get into it real quick let's be honest we're gonna be here all night anyway so yes like i i'm on twitter more than i like to be i try i try really hard to not be on twitter as much as i am in fact i i think i do a pretty good job like i'll have days like today where i tweet like two or three times and I'm like, oh, that's too much activity. Get off. But I'll have days like yesterday where I was pretty much just not even on Twitter. I don't even think I checked it more than maybe once or twice. So f- Twitter is such a fucking awful, miserable place. It's such a good way to like come down with severe depression is to f- create an account on, on Twitter. But it, it can be so easy to get lost in this. But remember that the mass majority of PlayStation gamers out there are just like how many of us are with Xbox. These people are not constantly pissed about Xbox. They're not constantly riffing on Xbox. And they're not saying our box is better than yours. Most people who really like PlayStation out there have a special connection to PlayStation the same way much of us have with Xbox. You know, leading up to the launch of the Series X, I kept indulging and in, in reminiscing on, you know, what the Xbox brand means to me and why I have this podcast, why I named it Xbox On, and how special I think the Xbox One console generation was, despite it being objectively the weakest and least popular and least liked Xbox console of all time. And, you know, it's it's because it's a personal thing for me. And I have I have a personal connection with it. I have memories and associations with it, much like I'm sure all of you do with Xbox as a brand. It's why you're here listening to this show. It's not because you love listening to me tell you about my past and my experiences. It's because you can relate based on your love for Xbox and your appreciation and association with the brand. And it gives us that commonality and gives us something to bond over and something to share and have a community over, not a community of my show, but rather a community of Xbox and general Xbox fandom. And so just keep in mind the overwhelming majority of PlayStation fans and PlayStation gamers feel the way about PlayStation that we feel about Xbox. And that's it. You know, I don't sit around all day shitting on like thinking about all the ways in which PlayStation five is worse than series X, because that doesn't matter. PlayStation five is probably great in its own ways. I don't have one, but one day I'll probably buy one. And 
for the meantime, you know, I'm totally happy with my Series X. I fucking love Xbox. The new console's great, and I'm excited to see, you know, what's to come. And the reason I bring this up is because Twitter just, you know, kind of like what we were saying with the political stuff at the top of the show, Twitter brings out the fucking worst. It's almost entirely fringe. You know, I don't know if it's a combination of people like to give attention to crazy things and heinous things and fringe people, or if it's the algorithm on this fucking meet on the, on the platform likes to promote stupid content that just gets a lot of eyes and clicks and traction. But the things you see pop up the most on Twitter are the crazy comments. And I, and I think about it like this, like think about all the rational people you follow. Think about like someone who you deeply appreciate and admire who you follow on Twitter. A lot of these people don't post frequently and it's because they're probably too busy living actual goddamn lives and doing things that actually matter to be constantly posting on Twitter all fucking day, left and right, because they're grown-ass adults with actual lives and things to do. But when you get on, on Twitter and you're like, oh, why is everyone just constantly bitching on Xbox for this new FPS boost or this new Halo thing? It's like, well, because you're not seeing a representation of, like, actual PlayStation fans, because those actual PlayStation fans are normal, rational humans like you and I who just want to play PlayStation and enjoy their lives. But rather, what you're seeing on social media are the super diehard fringe out of left field players who are just like, not only do I like PlayStation, but I like it so much. I'm going to dedicate 10% of my free time to playing PlayStation and 90% of my free time to telling the Xbox fans that they're fucking idiots for not playing PlayStation. And that's what you're seeing on social media. It's those people. It's the people that need help. It's the people that can't help but tweet minimum of 10 times a day because they have no fucking lives, because they have no ability to just enjoy themselves and do their own thing. And they have to constantly look for like this Will you please give me attention? Can I please tell you what I think about this thing that you don't care about? And and that's a weird that's a weird thing to say because isn't that what every social media post is like? Today I said something super stupid on Twitter about like fucking I was making fun of media for just like constantly following where the clicks go and obviously COVID makes money so news sites just post all day long about like CDC officials say this about COVID and so I made a joke teasing like all the obligatory and like obvious headlines that you'll probably see in the coming weeks or months from major news outlets. And I looked back on that tweet. I'm like, this is a dumb fucking tweet, but you know, whatever. That's what you do on Twitter. You say something stupid. You hope someone notices you and you move on with your life, but that's not how these specific people work. These specific people live and die by the attention of others. So, you know, what gets a lot of attention is outrage and fucking um, controversy and, and, and hot takes and things like that. So you get so much of this whole Xbox is stupid for this. Xbox is dumb for that. Microsoft sucks. Here's why for some reason giving people performance upgrades to their old games is a bad idea. It's not because people actually believe this. It's because there is a group of people that need help and Twitter is a platform that enables and promotes the worst people in our society. It's why if the world were actually run by Twitter half the people you fucking know would be in jail cells for actually being Nazis. Twitter is run by very, very crazy people who think in very extreme ways and, and there's no gray or anything else to the world. It's all just really far in one direction or another. So I know it's, I, I know it's like so many people say that, but it is this thing that you constantly have to refresh yourself on because the potential of Twitter, the potential of social media, the potential of the internet is so great and so promising. But unfortunately the, the reality of how these things are used, of how these websites are tooled and, and, and how these algorithms work, it just really ends up being this really awful experience for everyone. So unfortunately, that's what we see. That's not what it actually is. But yes, as as for the medium or the content, you know, the, the as for the industry or the content creators, I can't speak to them. A lot of those people just, 
They just make videos and articles about things that get clicks, things that make money, and a lot of times being controversial is simply what makes money. So, again, it's not, you know, I, I don't think it's like people at IGN have a vendetta against Xbox. I think it's people at IGN live in the city of San Francisco, and they smell their own fucking farts, and they all play PlayStation because it's what their buddies do, and they're all afraid that if they have their own personalities and opinions, they might explode. So they all just, you know, like, oh, we play PlayStation and whatever game is coming out, blah, 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 because they're people with jobs and limited free time. So they spend their free time doing, you know, the things that they they can do and the things that their friends do. And, you know, it's not we hate Xbox. It's that, you know, none of us here really play Xbox. So it gets a lack of coverage and none of us here are really big Xbox proponents. So it just seems like we neglect it as as as, you know, side effect of praising so much of what PlayStation and Nintendo do. So a lot of it, I don't think it's active hatred. In a lot of cases, I think it's more like neglection, apathy, and lack of experience. Although definitely sometimes there is a little bit of a harsher, as I've mentioned before, a, hard, a harsher slant in, in, in uh, kind of press on Xbox. Like if an Xbox game comes out, again, because there isn't so much of a connection and a love and a relationship already pre-existing there with a lot of these people in the platform, I think it's easier for them to be more critical. Whereas like, you know, if they put a new Zelda game on Switch, these fucking IGN guys, their little glasses are going to fog up and they're going to be like, I, I don't know how this isn't a masterpiece. It has Legend and Zelda in the same fucking game. How do they put both characters on the Nintendo Switch? And then, you know, it's going to get a 10 out of 10. So, a lot of it just has to do with, you know, the things that gain traction are unfortunately the crazy people. And a lot of times the the neglect and the lack of experience can come off as outright disdain or dislike and appreciation for specific things just because, you know, the people who control the message, the people who have the platform just are unversed or unfamiliar with, you know? Like, I'm sure a lot of people probably listen to this podcast and think that, I straight up hate Nintendo, and that's just not true. I have a Nintendo Switch. I play my Nintendo Switch. I play my PlayStation Vita almost every night before I go to bed. Like, I play video games on the other platforms, but I have a massive, massive appreciation and soft spot for Xbox, and it is the gaming platform I play, you know, predominantly, so it is the one I can speak to the most. It is the one I have the most happy and positive things to say about, and therefore it comes off because... You know, this is a show where we have to talk about narrow, specific things. Comes off as like, wow, this guy really loves Xbox and probably hates everything else. So, again, a little bit of it is, you know, just a, a byproduct of media is like, they can only tell you what the story is about. They can't, you know, you don't read a story on IGN to learn about how the author feels about fucking, you know, 2% milk. You're reading for whatever the headline's talking about and nothing else. And so, you get specific perspectives and takes because... By design, those things are meant to be limited. So all that makes no sense, and that's why we're going to wrap up the comments now. But before we do, I'd just like to do a couple miscellaneous comments because I don't like the way... I don't like how serious things have been. So Mavsman wants to speak to EA's king and his lack of having never had Taco Bell and says, I'm back after being snowed in for four days with no power and water, and more importantly, no Xbox, thanks to the storms here in Texas. Well, first of all, Mavsman, let me stop there. I hope you and, and your family and your friends and your loved ones and neighbors are doing well and that everyone's safe because I know... Things have been crazy, depending on where you are specifically, and uh, just uh, hoping you guys are well. But obviously, if you're commenting in here, it sounds like you probably are, but still, a lot, lot going on over there. So glad glad to hear from you. Glad you're doing well from over there in Texas. You say, I'm giving this a hell of a lot more thought than I should have regarding E.A. King and his failure to live life for not consuming Taco Bell. I believe a few episodes ago, the great and honorable Surugi granted me banning power. 
but I grant EA King a one-week period in which to put down the poutine, go to Taco Bell, use the app to create your own $5 box, make sure you get a Baja Blast, skip the mild, skip the hot, go straight for the fire sauce, and enjoy your foodgasm. By next week, this hasn't been if this hasn't been completed, you, sir, have earned your ban. Mavs, man, this sounds... This sounds in, incredibly realistic and reasonable reasonable to me. So you heard the man, EA's King. Uh, get a $5 meal box from Taco Bell within the next seven days or your ass is banned. So I don't even give a shit if you're vegetarian or if you have a dietary restriction or if there's something getting in the way. Do it or uh, face face the consequences otherwise. And our final two comments first comes from Mojo, who says, I went I went to Florida back in 1992 and did the whole Disney and surrounding attractions thing, and honestly, all I remember is Ripley's Believe It or Not, Tower of Terror, Gatorland, which was by far my favorite. Gotta watch the Gators eat a live deer as part of the show. Also, it was like armpit hot and sweaty, plus the hotel pool had a layer of dead grasshoppers or some type of bug where you couldn't even see the water. And little lizards everywhere... That were impossible to catch. Florida's mental as fuck. I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Must go back. Mojo, that's a great comment because not only is it like a mix of like exciting and sad and pathetic and just kind of funny and some nice anecdotes, but that comment pretty much encapsulates Central Florida perfectly. Like, first of all, I still been mean to go to those Ripley's museums. But anyway, Tower of Terror is a great ride. Gatorland is, that's funny as hell. I, I, I pass Gatorland all the time and I have been meaning to go there forever, but... Someday. I, I really do need to check that place out. <laughs> the little lizards thing is a, is a real thing. Those lizards, as soon as it gets, like, summery here, God, those little lizards are everywhere. And I, honestly, they're they're freaking adorable. I, I love... That's one of the things I love about living here in Florida is just these little tiny lizards, and they're so freaking cute, and they just run around everywhere in the summer. And they really do disappear from, like, November to March. It's weird. They just kind of... You just don't see them at all. But, you know, that soon enough... Uh, June, August, whatever. You just see the little the little lizards. They're everywhere and they're super freaking cute. But um yeah, I like your little I like your little depiction of Florida because I mean honestly, I think I think you got it. I think that's that's Orlando Kissimmee in a nutshell. Now, Eric Masson has the final comment this week who says, "Hey man, you mentioned being a Taking Back Sunday fan in high school. I fucked with emo a lot in high school, and I re- and here I am 10 years later still listening to pop-punk bands like Four Years Strong and hardcore bands like Every Time I Die, which is, by the way, my all-time favorite band. That's your words, not mine. I'm curious of what kind of music you like. We know your taste in video games, food, cars, but not music. Well, you don't know my taste in everything. You know, I talk about the electric cars, but I also really like the Japanese cars as well. I'm, I'm still a big fan of, like, the... Uh, the Hondas and Toyotas and Mitsubishi, like the rally cars and the souped-up Civic Type R's and the the tuner cars and stuff like that. I'll, maybe I have mentioned that on the show. Anyway, but not music. I don't I don't talk about music. Yeah, I was a uh, in high school. I was definitely a bit of an emo boy. I love my favorite music. I always describe my favorite music. My buddy Hunter, who listens to the show, and I kind of have differing opinions on the emo genre. I think he sticks to. His definitions of music genres, I think, are a little more, like, straightforward and actually descriptive of what the genres truly are. I think they're more, like, appropriate in textbook genre definitions. My definitions of genres, I think, have a lot more to do with tone, emotion, and, like, conveyance, and a lot less with just pure sound, if that makes sense. So, like, for example, 
to me, emo music always meant like people think emo music means like Panic at the Disco or Taking Back Sunday. To me, emo music means like like quite literally what it is. It's like emotional music. So emo music can be like hardcore can be emo, punk can be emo, emo can be emo, pop punk can be emo, post hardcore can be emo. All these genres can be forms of emo. Although I know people mean like, oh, well, emo means like Taking Back Sunday and American football and and uh, Sunny Day Real Estate and shit like that. I'm like, yes, those are like genuinely emo bands. But I mean, look at a band like fucking Man Overboard, who's a who's like a poster child for pop punk. Try tell me that Man Overboard isn't emo. You know, it's like fucking listen to their songs. They're just like really sad songs about girls and and pathetic boys and shit like that. It's like that shit's emo as hell. And you're gonna tell me that that constitutes solely as pop punk because their sound is like so pop punk it isn't funny it's like i just I, I don't get that also they're all just so closely related they pull in the same fan bases anyway so it's also just like eh. so yeah i mean i don't even know why i'm going on this tangent about emo but yes e- emo pop punk post hardcore all that shit that was my crap growing up for sure my favorite bands i mean if you ask me like my favorite bands when i was in high school i would have said top three favorite bands are uh yellow card the get up kids and senses fail those would probably be my three favorite bands of all time now that i'm older i don't really know what my answer would be yellow card is forever my favorite band of all time and that's a perfect example i think many people look at yellow card and call them a, a pop punk band but i would say they're they're a rock band, they're an emo band, they're a pop punk band, they're whatever you want to say. It's also really hard to genre define artists, especially when every fucking track is like a different genre. But anyway, yeah, my, my favorite band of all time is easily Yellow Card, and that's actually somewhat steeped in video game lore because I discovered them while playing SSX3 on PlayStation 2 back in the day. I listened to their song Way Away, and I was like, this, uh, this isn't this is exactly the kind of music I'm always looking for. You know, before that, when everyone's a little kid, they don't really know what they're listening for music. So they listen to like what their parents listen to or what they hear at the radio on the radio. And so when I was a really little kid, I was just like, Yeah, I like Green Day and ACDC, and those are my favorite bands. And then I turned like eight and I was like, Oh, what's this yellow card? And I'm like, Oh shit, this is good. And then I went down this rabbit hole of like, oh emo and pop punk and all that crap. And yeah, I mean that's a I definitely came up in the warp tour hot topic scene of just uh, fucking bands that make you want to cut your wrists and cry in a corner and shit like that. So I, I loved emo music. I loved post hardcore. I love the pop punk. I love all that crap. As I've grown up a lot though, I've gotten really far away from music. I don't, I don't know why I feel no one ever did anything to me. Nothing happened. I'm just a little bitch, but I just got so burned by music for some reason. And now I just like have this, kind of chip on my shoulder. I just don't really, I don't enjoy talking about music unless I do, which makes no sense, but that's just kind of how I am about it. And I just, I don't know. I used to like, dude, in high school, I was at a concert every fucking week. And there was a couple years where I played in rock bands and I was playing show. Like if I wasn't at a concert, sing a band live, I was playing a concert in a, in a band. And, and like music just meant the world to me. Like I thought, you know, when I was in high school, like my goal was like, very clearly, like, I will never be a professional musician because no one really gets to do that. That's not a realistic dream or goal. But also, there's nothing I want to do with my life other than just play music. That was kind of, like, my thing when I was a teenager. And now I'm older, and I have, like, no drive to play music or to create music or to do anything with music or even listen to it. Like, 99% of the time, if I'm listening to audio out of my mobile device, I'm listening to a podcast. If I'm driving in the car, podcast almost all the time. In fact... When I do listen to music nowadays, I mostly listen to like electronic stuff or like chiptune stuff or like video games. So I listen to like Anamana Gucci and like weird Japanese 
pop artists that don't have vocals. It's just all like music and like electronic stuff. And I don't know. I just listen to a lot of weird shit. I actually really love hyper potions. Uh, those guys do some awesome music. I don't know. I don't listen to anything anymore. I just, I don't like music. I like podcasts. Fuck off. All right. And that's it for this week's comments, guys. Remember next time, don't be shy. Reply. Now we're going to jump into the news, but before I can tell you that, I got to tell you about what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. And I'll make this short and sweet. Now, I went down to the Epcot this past Sunday. It was the final day that I got to go to the Arts Festival at Epcot this year. And I had no intention of trying this dish, but in the American Pavilion this year for the Art Festival, they had a Beef Wellington dish. Now, Beef Wellington is a dish I'm familiar with the existence of, but I've never had in my entire life. And I had no intention of eating it because I always just lumped the beef wellington dish into this category of like redneck feed and i never thought it was something i wanted to try um but i follow this instagram account about disney that just keeps going on and on and on about how this dish is apparently amazing so you know what i said i said jesse this weekend is the payday weekend so i'm gonna fucking spend eight dollars i shouldn't spend and just fucking try this little food booth dish i'm gonna try this beef wellington we're gonna give it a try because not even because i want to see what all the fuss is about but more because I'm confident that I'm not even going to like this thing, so I'm going to try it, and I'm going to say, you see, the best food booth item at the Epcot Art Festival this year was actually this thing, or whatever else it was that I enjoyed, and so I, I, I reluctantly waited in line for 15 fucking minutes to order this little $8, two and a half, three ounce little portion of Beef Wellington on a little, on a little festival sample size plate. And I, it's a hot day at Epcot, a little crowded, maybe a little too crowded for the middle of the pandemic. I'm walking around the park looking for a spot where I can just kind of settle in and, and, and try this thing. And a little frustrated. The line was long. The crowds are high. The, the, the weather's hot. I'm not really frustrated because it's actually a really nice day at the park. But anyway, I finally find a spot. I sit down. I unmask. I whip out the fork and knife. I hand Sandy up first because you can't be spreading germs, you fucking idiot. And I got to admit, I was 100% wrong about Beef Wellington. Maybe, again, this is the only time I've ever had it, so this is my only experience with the dish, but god damn, this was good. It was, like, perfectly cooked, like, medium rare, maybe a little touch over medium rare, but not quite medium, but god damn, it was so perfectly cooked. It was tender. It was like prime rib, basically, and they wrap it in prosciutto, and then they wrap it in puff pastry, and they have a demi-glaze on top of it. Oh my fucking god, this was one of the best things I've eaten in so long and immediately after eight i was like okay instagram needs to see this okay twitter needs to see this okay my mom needs to see this okay girlfriend needs to see this and i'm just telling the entire world about this because i just went you know again two and a half three ounce portion it's a little festival size little sample size i've just been on a culinary journey that has that was so adventurous i feel like i traveled the world back but it was such a small portion it felt like i did it in the blink of an eye so here i am both i've fallen in love and become heartbroken all in a matter of two bites and my life will never be the same again because i I wish i found this dish i wish i had tried this dish two months ago when the festival started but here we are and you know as of today the festival's over and the arts festival doesn't return until next january so here I am with this taste in my mouth. I haven't brushed my teeth since I had it all those days ago, and it's just the best thing ever. It's just It was just so goddamn good. And now I'm so curious, is Beef Wellington that good, or is this just like Disney's special twist on Beef Wellington that was like out of this world, like fucking crack cocaine? So I'm, I'm thinking about that a lot. That was really good, and uh, I, I got to find another place to get Beef Wellington or try to make it at home and see if I can 
create recreate even half the magic that my palate experienced just the other day. So that's what I've been eating. That's what I've been dreaming. As for what I've been playing, I I, I really wanted to finish that Call of Duty Season 1 Battle Pass. So I've been up the past few nights just grinding that stupid battle pass. Last night I finally hit level 100. I'm done with it. I feel so good, feel so good to be done with it. Um, but other than that, I've been playing the Hot Wheels DLC on Forza Horizon 4, which is fucking awesome. Those Hot Wheel cars are super cool. And uh, other than that, though, you know, I'm just waiting because tomorrow when the show goes live, the new Zombies map goes live on Cold War. And then the MLB The Show demo or tech test for Xbox Insiders goes live. And the Outriders beta slash demo goes live. So I'm really looking forward to all three of these things. Plus, I'm still in the mood to play Forza Horizon 4. So kind of been like a slow week of like, I feel obligated to finish this battle pass on Call of Duty, but I don't want to be playing this. And it went from that to now I have these four new experiences or these three and a half new experiences that I really, really, really want to get to and just not enough time to play games. So beginning tomorrow, I'm going to be in a new situation of not enough time, lots of things I want to play. Whereas the past few days, I've been in a situation of like, I got some free time, but uh, I'm just basically doing the same I'm obligated to do with this battle pass rather than playing the things I want to play. So that's where I am with the what I've been playing. Uh, we'll report more on some of that stuff next week. Uh, but with further, you know, hour and 20 minutes in the show, most podcasts will be over by now, but we're just getting to the news. So let's jump into the news. All right, we really need to just start limiting the comments a little bit. This is a, uh, it's insane how long this goes. But let's jump into the news with our first story here, which is, uh, you might recall at the top of the show, I said this all has a theme because our first big news story of the week is a little political or controversial so we'll get into that and uh i'm actually really excited to talk about this because this is a a lot of things i'm interested in so our first story comes from ign and this is a little late it kind of came out a little over a week ago but things were developing i didn't want to talk about it quite yet so here we are now the story reads six days in fallujah a military first person shooter based on a real iraq war battle has been resurrected by a new developer and publisher after being canceled by its original publisher over a decade ago set for release on pc and console this year The new version of Six Days in Fallujah is developed by Highwire Games, a studio founded by Halo's lead designer and published by Victura. A tactical shooter, the game is based on events that took place in 2004 during a second battle for Fallujah in Iraq. Designed with accuracy in mind, over 100 Marine soldiers and Iraq civilians have been interviewed to ensure authenticity. The campaign depicts six days of conflict as experienced by the U.S. Marines as they attempted to recapture Fallujah from Al-Qaeda. To simulate the battle, the developers at Highwire Games claim to have created a, quote, unique technologies and game mechanics designed to replicate the uncertainty in tactics of modern combat in, a, in ways that other games do not. The original version of Six Days in Fallujah was announced back in 2009 by developer Atomic Games, and it was set to be published by Konami, but the game was met with criticism from war veterans and anti-war groups. Setting a violent video game in a real-world war, particularly one not just fresh in the memory, but also seen as unjust, was seen as controversial. This caused Konami to pull out of the project while never formally canceling the game. News on Six Days in Fallujah gradually faded. In the years since Atomic Games' former CEO, Pete Tomte, Uh, has set up Victura and has been working uh, on a new version of Six Days in Fallujah since 2016. Quote from him reads, It's hard to understand that combat is actually like, it's hard to understand what combat is actually like through fake people doing fake things in fake places. 
said Tomte in a press statement. This generation showed sacrifice and courage in Iraq in remarkable, as remarkable as any in history. And now they are offering the rest of us a new way to understand one of the most important events of our century. It's time to challenge outdated stereotypes about what video games can be, end quote. Uh, Tom T himself was even executive vice president of Bungie during the development and launch of Halo Combat Evolved. The development team of the new version of Six Days in Fallujah is headed up by Jamie Greismer, who is lead developer on Halo and Destiny, while music is provided by Halo's original composer, Mario O'Donnell. Numerous other ex-Bungie staff make up Highwire, including former design director, characters, vehicles, and weapons artists. Victura has said that more details on the game will be released in the coming weeks. So, the only story I put down was this, which is the announcement story. But the story kind of goes further than this. So first, let's just stop there and talk about this on its own. This is a story I've been pretty well aware, well aware of for a pretty long time. And it always really, really bummed me out that the original version of this game that was set to release over a decade ago never made it to the market. Because the very concept of this game is just really unique and really interesting. And I really want to see it. But... The, the crazy thing about all this is I'm actually way more eager and interested in what this game has to offer now that it's coming out in 2021 versus the version we could have gotten back in 2019. And that's because of this, like think about where games were in 2009. Like in 2009, it was like coolest games were like Modern Warfare 2. Is that when Mass Effect 2 came out or Mass Effect 2 was a little later? You know, you had games like Bioshock and Mass Effect and, and Modern Warfare and all these things were kind of dominating the news cycle, right? These were the games that people were like, oh, wow, this is like the gold standard of games right now. And that was a really interesting time because games were starting to ramp up to this point of like storytelling being really good in games and like pushing boundaries of like what we do within the genres that we play games in. But in the time since then, we've had everything from like Uncharted to The Last of Us to God of War to fucking, you know, I, I argue games like Halo 4 that that really push storytelling in, in storytelling conventions and games like Halo. And just, you know, just really artistic games, really groundbreaking games, games like Gone Home that really push the boundaries of like how to tell a story in a game and really push the artistic form of, of of storytelling and gaming and i think about how normalized and how commonplace it's becoming games you know far cry 3 these kinds of games to reshape that the landscape and to have this experience and to have this nor normalcy of like games being a great medium for telling really good stories and not only telling good stories but for allowing us to interact with stories in new and unique ways that movies don't offer or just regular running gun shoot games don't offer and with, with all of that experience and understanding now under our belt and in, in, in having that be normal in games, that makes me infinitely more excited for what you can do with this game, knowing that this game's intention is to make a really realistic account of what happened here in this battle, to interview people involved in this battle, to try and portray this from an accurate perspective of what these people went through, to try to develop mechanics that convey what it felt like to be here. And that's... That's that's the part that gets me. Like you can think about like movies, a great method of telling stories. Like there are great war movies that really, you know, tell the story of like why war is fucking awful or like you know how just brutal and awful war is. You know, you think about movies like Saving Private Ryan or whatever and these are really great movies that definitely help audiences to understand and connect with these events in ways that previously, you know, other people haven't been able to do. People who aren't involved in this, people who aren't in the military, people who aren't deployed into battle, you know? And and I think a game like Six Days in Fallujah has the ability or the potential 
to push that envelope even further, to push that storytelling even further. The part of this that makes me the most excited is the part that says earlier in this story where it says to simulate the battle, the developers at Highwire Games claim to have created unique technologies and game mechanics designed to replicate the uncertainty and tactics of modern combat in ways other games don't. So basically what they're doing here in this announcement is jabbing a little bit like your Call of Duties and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with Call of Duty, obviously. We're just talking about how great the new one is. But let's not lie about it. Call of Duty is a franchise that kind of like glorifies war. And I don't mean this in like a in like a controversial way or like shitting on Call of Duty way. Like Call of Duty is a fun action movie. You know, you watch it because the characters are badass and the set scene, the set, the set pieces are badass. The explosions, the gunfights, the action, it's all awesome and cool. You watch it for the same reason you watch fucking like Lethal Weapon because it's badass and cool, right? But that's not an honest depiction of war. And those games, while sometimes they do get a little like borderline cool with the storytelling, like especially in the Black Ops games, they don't really fully encapsulate what these experiences are like and nor is that their intention or their purpose you know it's a it's a different kind of game for a different reason there's nothing wrong with that but that's really like the majority of what we have for video games that portray war or that can that you know tackle the, the themes of war but we don't really have games that do this which is like hey we have so many games where you run around in first person holding a gun you shoot bad guys and there's no better setting or or excuse for that kind of gameplay to take place other than to be like oh you know war and now we have a game that's saying, well, rather than using that as the excuse for the gameplay, let's use the gameplay in unique ways to help emphasize or further immerse the player in the storytelling. And that, that we just don't get that enough. And, it, you know, it, it infuriates me that all those years ago, this game was seen as controversial and we didn't get it. But now it excites me because I'm like, with what we know about gaming today, with what we have available to us and the ways, you know, that we can make games do the things that we we've seen games do in recent years, it just really pumps me up for what this game could potentially be. But unfortunately this couldn't just be that because, you know, 10 years ago, the issue with this game was you had like really far right media, like really hardcore, strictly conservative people bitching and moaning about how, this was super disrespectful. This, These were events that were, you know, in 2009, we were only like five years removed from the events that this game is based on. So people were like, these are way too recent events. This isn't like making a World War II game. This is very sensitive. These people are still suffering. You know, we're obviously still involved in conflict over overseas. And, and, and you know, these, these wounds are too fresh. They haven't healed. It doesn't, it's not respectful and appropriate to be talking about these things now. And that was kind of the sentiment. And it was a lot of like super conservative pro, you know, support the troops kind of like conservative right leaning Americans really fighting against this shit. I thought that was so stupid because to me, the way it works is it's like, if you got a story to tell, you fucking tell it. Who gives a shit? Like, I don't care if it's one year after the events. Like, like if you want to tell a story about 9-11 a year after 9-11, the only thing that matters is whether or not that's a good story or not. Like whether or not you make a good movie, you make a good story, you make a good game about it. Not whether or not it was too soon because this isn't how art should work. This isn't how storytelling should work is people get to set parameters and tell you what's offensive and what works and what doesn't work. It's like, why don't you just let the people create what they have to create? And then you as a consumer be the response. Like if you think this game is inappropriate or it's too soon or it's not, you know, it's whatever it is, just don't buy it. Don't play it. Don't watch it. Don't experience it, you know? But, like, I hate this idea of hindering creatives and hindering people who are trying to push boundaries and trying to do new things because you find something 
to be offensive or controversial. But now we're in this position where we have the exact opposite problem, where now, you know, in the days following this announcement, lots of your Kotakus and Polygons and all those fuckboys began to bitch and moan about how this game was inappropriate, offensive, controversial, because they're only portraying the perspective of the Americans, and now they're not being considered enough to the Iraqi soldiers involved in these events, because in the game they made it clear that you will only play as American soldiers or Iraqi soldiers who were fighting alongside U.S. soldiers, so it's kind of like one-sided in that way. And, you know, there's a different conversation to be had about whether or not that's right or wrong. I, I think you need to play the game and see what it's trying to tell you before you can really f- properly make that assessment, that assertion. But nonetheless, now we have this exact opposite thing where we don't have like the far right conservative people bitching and moaning about how the game's controversial. Now we have the far left because what they're saying is it's insensitive. We need to we need to include the voices of people from Iraq. We need to include more minority voices in the game and how, of course, we're only going to have the pro-gun, pro-America, white boys in blue out there in the field fighting for freedom, telling the story and everyone else is muted and everyone else is silenced and everyone else is othered. It's like, shut the fuck up. You don't even know what this game is yet and you're already saying that. It's like, let the, the game is trying to tell you a very specific story about the perspective of these American soldiers. And, and, and you think about like the possibility of this story. It's like, you can tell such a compelling story about like someone who was enlisted in the military, like an American soldier who was enlisted in the mil- military to help fight for his country in the events that something were to happen in the, you know, th- think about like being in the military before 9-11 and you think like well we were involved in events like world war ii and then vietnam and you know our our country here in the u.s has kind of a weird history of like sometimes being involved in wars for the right reasons sometimes being involved in wars you know for the wrong reasons i.e vietnam and then being thrown into this war where it's like you know i i don't know is this is this you know is this second gulf war is this is this invasion of iraq is this going to be a World War II where we should be there fighting is, or is this going to be a Vietnam where we're asserting ourselves where we don't belong and making trouble? Like what is this war going to be? And imagine the, the perspective of being that soldier thrown into this battle and you don't get a say because you're part of this military and you're just following orders. You're doing what you're told and you find yourself in a situation where you think you're the good guys going over there to fight for freedom, going over there to fight the free, the, the good fight, defend your country, whatever, you know, but you end up finding yourself in a gray situation where maybe you're the invader, maybe you're the problem, maybe, you know, like, you're the bad guy. You don't know. Like, that could be the story they're trying to tell here, which I think would be such an interesting and compelling story, and clearly what they're trying to really convey here is about the trauma and the stress and the and everything that is associated with with these wars and these battles and and it's really crazy like i want to they they talked about in one of the in one of the developer diaries about something like a mechanic where like where it's like just about simply opening a door because like the marines they interviewed would talk about how like stressful it would be when they're entering in like a building how like it would be like someone it would be someone's job to have to open the door before they entered in and every time they would open the door you don't know if like someone's going to open the door or there's going to be like a tripwire bomb and someone's going to die or there's going to be an ambush and someone's going to get shot like you have to open this door and go into this place because it has something to do with your objective and you don't know if you or your squad is going to live or die once that fucking door is opened and in the marines you know they interviewed for this game we're talking about that And the developers were using that story to talk about how they want to create mechanics around like those kinds of things to help give the player the sense of like stress and deep unrest about like, 
something as trivial as opening a door and how like, you know, we don't think about it when we're playing Call of Duty and you're busting through doors and you're fucking guns ablaze and killing everything in sight like a superhero. But the reality of war is like, these aren't like super soldiers who are like, you know, big and strong and can take on any enemy. These are human beings who are just terrified for their lives, being thrown into situations they have almost no control over, being given orders and objectives that they have almost no control over. And the moral of this all is just that war is shitty and everything is dangerous and everything is terrifying and trying to convey that fear and that uncertainty and everything into the hands of the player, I think is such a cool idea for a game, but that's not the conversation we're having now because now the conversation is the Kotakus and the polygons have taken over and they're just shitting on this. And there's, there's this like popular game dev who's like half Egyptian, half Dutch. And he's just bitching and moaning. He's got like a lot of clout on the internet. I guess he used to work for some game dev and some game media channel. I don't really give a shit, but he's just like out here on Twitter bitching and moaning and having a like a fucking meltdown about how like proper games media won't interview him to discuss like the perspective of like, you know, the Iraqi soldier and in and, and how they're not properly being portrayed in the story. And then there was some journalist from Kotaku and she was talking about how like this silences like black voices. I, I don't know. It's like, it's about American soldiers being deployed into a battle in Fallujah in Iraq. And now it's apparently this journalist is trying to make it about like silencing black voices. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Typical shit we see all the time in, in media where it's just like, how can we, how can we gender this? How can we make this about race? How can we make this about sexuality? How can we make everything political in a way that it isn't inherently? And and unfortunately, now what we have is this weird, like, super far left thing where they're trying to get the game canceled again. They're trying to oppose it and raise controversy over the game because apparently now the game's offensive again because it's not properly conveying other sides. It's not properly representing enough racial diversity. And it's like, guys, shut the fuck up for a second. These developers are trying to talk about the stress and the trauma and the loss and the fear of battle, of fucking war, something you fucking privileged little writers would never know anything about because you just get to live in San Francisco and New York and fucking type away on your $2,000 MacBooks all goddamn day while you sip your 50th Starbucks coffee for the day, talking about how there's not enough representation in a fucking war video game about fucking war on terror, when really the game has absolutely nothing to do with that. And it drives me fucking up a wall because this is the kind of game that should be announced and people should be really, not like blindly excited about, but just like optimistic about because, you know, who knows if this game's gonna be good? It might be awful. It might be a really fucking stupid game. But just by what the developers are talking about doing here, and I swear I'm not just saying this because these are ex-Halo developers. I'm saying this because this just sounds fucking interesting. This game sounds really exciting and this is what we need. I talk about this all the time. The thing I love about video games, it's ability to world build and storytell in ways that nothing else can. It's the reason why I love theme parks. The ability to immerse and to tell stories and to experience things in ways that movies can't, books can't, because Every medium of storytelling has its own strengths and weaknesses. And this is exactly the strength of a video game is being able to say, you know, you watch a movie and you might feel suspense based on the way the scene is filmed, the way they focus the camera on certain things. Like they're opening the door. Who knows what's going to happen? Like it can be suspenseful. Movies can capture that, right? But only a game can capture the experience of like, you have to perform the action. And so I'm excited to see what they can do in this game to make the player actually feel a sense of like fear and dread when they have to turn a corner or open a door or explore a new area because they're not trying to show Call of Duty guns a blazing. Tell a fucking story 
about people who are sent off to war, who have almost no agency over their lives because once you join the military, you're basically a fucking the property of the U.S. government being deployed into places where we probably shouldn't be fighting wars. We probably have no business fighting involving victims that have no, no reason to be involved in this process and the fear and the loss and the destruction and like just the horror of all of this. And that's what this game seems like. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I haven't played the game yet, but that's what it seems like they're trying to talk about with this game. But now we're just having the same dilemma we had 10 years ago, but instead of now all the far right-wing nut jobs trying to take the game away and ruin it for everyone, we just got the same thing with the far left side. And that's what I mean by this has been politicized. It's just like, what the fuck, guys? Like, I don't know. Again, this could be a fucking awful game. Who knows? But man, they're really taking away something that could be really, really special just because I don't fucking know because horseshoe theory absolutely exists because if you go... As far to the right, you find the same fucking nut jobs you find as far to the left as you can possibly go because people are fucking insane. And and I can't tell, a lot of the past week has been like the developer going to these sites that have been criticizing them and talking more and more about this. And I can't tell if they're like leaning into this for more press or if they're trying to defend themselves against these people they shouldn't even be bothering, wasting their breath with to begin with. But like, here we are. This is the conversation. We don't have people who are cautiously optimistic about this new game that might give us new storytelling possibilities. Rather, we're just talking about how this game might need to be canceled again because it's not accurately representing enough. You're missing the point, but here we are. I don't know. I don't know if that's an offensive thing, what I just said. I don't know if anyone listening to the show is now taking umbrage with what I said, but nonetheless, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just quite honestly just pissed off that this is uh, this is what it's come to is we constantly hit this barrier nowadays where it's like we can't have conversations. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's not about whether or not this game is making a point that needs to be made or whether or not it's accurately portraying the point. It's about these guys have a story to tell. They have new ground they want to break and they have new ideas they want to pose to the audience. And whether or not these ideas are well-founded or well-represented are well worth talking about has yet to be discovered. Like we, we have to play the game and see the fucking game in order to really discuss whether or not any of those things matter, or whether they're pulled off correctly. Like that's all to be determined. But the fact that we live in this world where we can't even take the thing at face value and just look forward to it or be mindful of it without having to rip it apart and read in between the lines and dissect it and make all these stories out of it that it isn't. And that's, and that's what we do with everything. It's like, we just, we take the fun, we take the possibility, we take the creativity and we take away, we make people fearful for trying something different and thinking outside the box. It's like making a game like this isn't easy and it should be something that people encourage to see more and more of. Like, I don't think it's ever too soon to tackle a subject. I really don't. I think if someone wants to make a video game right now, like a walking simulator game where you play as like a black protester in the, in like the summer of 2020 in the black lives matter protests and things like that. If you want to make a game about that, that's a fucking awesome idea for a game. You could make such amazing story. Like you could do like a walking simulator, gone home style game set in an environment like that. And thanks to the strengths of video games, you could really make it a more immersive experience with the player agency and the player input. And it's like, I, I wouldn't see a game like that and be like, Oh, this is in poor taste. George Floyd, the the, the, uh, the the protest, that was so recent. You can't, you're just capitalizing on a bad thing. It's like, no, no, you're not, man. Because the reality of it is, it's not about how soon it is or anything like that or what the subject matter is. It's about, is it pulled off correctly? Does, does the story offer something of value to say? 
So what's going to make or break this game at the end of the day is when we play it and we say, did this game make me experience and understand a perspective of war I hadn't previously considered? Did this game offer me new perspective that I was completely blindsided to? Do I feel a new sense of understanding and empathy with people who were subject to this battle, subject to these events? Do I understand it in new ways? Do I think differently about it? Did it offer me food for thought? And and those are the things you have to ask yourself when you experience a game like this to answer the question, does this game justify its existence? Does this game accurately represent who it it represents or who it entails? And and you can't answer these questions until you experience the game. And fuck it. I'm just, I don't know. It just makes me so exasperated and sad. It's like, so what do you want to do? You just want to make another fucking indie game, RPG mechanics, sci-fi, and it's inspired by all the cool sci-fi 90s action bullshit. Or do you want someone to actually like fucking tell a new story and try to be boundary pushing and try to possibly toe the line of controversy for the sake of possibly offering something new and something that changes our perspective? I I mean, I'd argue both are completely relevant and both there's space for both. But I hate this idea that like we just got to lean hard into one thing. Diversity is letting people be where the fuck they are and just learning about their experiences and them as humans, not these fucking like identifiers. It just makes me really, really sad to see that a game like this is a, apparently a controversial take. And the worst part of all isn't that it is or isn't. It's that we don't even know enough about the game yet to really to really substantiate that claim. Whatever. Let's uh let's breeze through what's left of the news because this podcast is already definitely the longest episode of Xbox on. So our next podcast here, Anthem is canceled, guys. Um from Windows Central, Anthem Next, the planned overhaul for Anthem that would see the game's systems evolve in response to player feedback has been canceled. The news comes straight from BioWare who shared a blog post from studio director Christian Daly. Um, on why the subject has been made. He explains that the resources just aren't there at this time and paired with the global pandemic and everything going on at Bioware, they just don't have the time in the, in the hands. He says, quote, I know this will be disappointing to the community of Anthem players who have been excited to see the new improvements we've been working on. It's also disappointing for the team who are doing brilliant work. And for me personally, Anthem is what brought me to Bioware. And the last two years have been something, some of the most challenging and rewarding experiences in my career. But Daily also dates that moving forward, Bioware is completely pivoting to laser focus on the next Dragon Age, which has been in development since before fucking the Ice Age and the new Mass Effect game in development. And then, of course, more immediately, Bioware has the Mass Effect Legendary Edition, which comes out to Xbox on May 14th. So I don't know what to say about this because it was like only a week or two ago I was saying they're going to cancel this. They need to cancel this, right? Because they announced we have news to share on Anthem soon. We have to talk about this. And you know, it's like your fucking girlfriend pulls you aside and says, we need to talk. That doesn't mean like I'm promoting you to senior vice president boyfriend. It means like we're breaking up, you know? So if Bioware is like, oh, Anthem next. Okay, guys, give us a week. We need to talk. It's like, okay, that means the game's canceled. So I'm not going to give myself a pat on the back and say I called this from a mile away, but rather I'm going to say this was pretty obvious, especially because of what they they, they had us know leading up to this announcement formally. Um, so I, I'm not surprised. I don't think anyone's really surprised, but this does suck because there's clearly a lot of development that's gone into this project that's now wasted. And this only further makes the situation with Dragon Age and Mass Effect further exacerbated because that fucking Dragon Age game that should have... Dragon Age Inquisition came out in 2014. We are going... Like, like what is happening? We're going on like seven years, six years, seven years, whatever, between Dragon Age games. This game should have been out like two years ago, man. And this new Mass Effect game, like, I, I get it's early in development. I don't totally blame them, but I feel like they should be 
further along on that. And what they've done is they've just burned two years of their time when these other franchises really need the time, really need to come out the door, really need to come back. But they just burned this, this fucking time on a franchise and on a game that nobody was waiting for them to, to come back with. No one was hoping would get resurrected or get reinvigorated. No one was looking forward to Anthem. Even the people that liked Anthem were not looking for an excuse for Anthem to get revamped. People want Mass Effect. They want Dragon Age. Or at the very least, they want something different that's not Anthem. And I know I have limited experience with Anthem. I know I only played a little bit, and I was pleasantly surprised with what I did experience when I did play it. You know, I was like, hey, I was a little wrong about this game. It is cooler than I thought it would be. But that doesn't that's not really what this is about. This is just about, you know, Anthem is a a drop in a crowded market of games. You know, in this shared world shooter space, Destiny is the top dog. And then you've got some other smaller players like The Division, which, you know, they make up their portions of the market. But Anthem never worked. It was never going to work. You know, Destiny is a game that came out kind of broken and kind of janky and kind of pissed off a lot of people from its inception. But there was enough potential and enough good there that people stuck with it anyway, which is why Destiny is still such a successful franchise to this day. Anthem didn't have that. Anthem, you know, I I know people liked it, but like... People came and went with that game so fast, so hard. Clearly, there was no demand or or cry from the audience for them to make it right or to make it bigger, make it better, right the wrongs. Like People just wanted to move on to the next thing. So I, I respect EA and BioWare for wanting to make right on this by sticking with it, or I at least respect BioWare, maybe not so much EA, with wanting to make right on this situation by not just giving it up, cut, like being like, oh, well, we made money on it, move on. I appreciate them trying to make it right for people but I think this is a rare example where the people didn't want you to make it right they wanted you to move on people accepted that Anthem didn't light the world on fire and then they were ready for what was next and instead now we have no Anthem overall and we're super behind on all these other projects so that's a really shitty situation and uh I mean, I don't really have much more to say other than, you know, rest in peace, Anthem. It's over now. So I guess that's kind of nice. Uh, next story here is from gamesindustry.biz, which reports that Blooper Team, the developers of the new uh, game, The Medium, confirmed that the team is working on a vi- with a very famous gaming publisher on an upcoming title. They say in a quote, in fact, we've been working on it for more than a year, gathering uh, on another gaming project, another horror IP, and we're doing this with a very famous gaming publisher. That was from the CEO of Bloober Team, uh, Pietro um, Babieno, who says, I can tell you, I can't tell you who, and I can't tell you what the project is, but I'm pretty sure that people are gonna realize we're working on it. They'll be very excited. The game comes this game comes just a short time after Silent Hill composer, Akira Yamaoka, stated in a now removed interview that his next project will begin his next project was being revealed later in the summer 2021, and that I think it's kind of one you're all hoping to hear about which was his quote. This only further compounds, of course, the reports and the rumors that Konami's bringing back Silent Hill in some form or fashion. I don't have much to conjecture here because I'm not a horror fan. I don't follow these things very closely, but I'd I, I buy this one. I, I don't think there's a lot of like, I don't think there's a lot of like gymnastics you need to do to, to figure out what's happening here. I, I really do think Bluebird team is working on Silent Hill. In fact, I think there's enough Silent Hill DNA in games like The Medium that it kind of shows that Bloober Team is maybe, I don't know if like the perfect or the the premier developer to do Silent Hill, but they're at least up there. They're at least, you know, a developer that can pull this off. And what they've shown with games like The Medium is that they can make 
a decent game for a decent budget and make a healthy profit or make make it successful. So I think that might be enticing to Konami, a, a company that's constantly removing itself more and more from video games to maybe have a team like like a Bluebird team, you know, make Silent Hills, um, make it a smaller, more compact game, make it cheaper, make it faster, and not have to make it this massive like Hideo Kojima produced uh, multi million multi million dollar. Uh, super triple A project, you know, make bring Silent Hills back, but you know, make it something that's like we can develop this in a couple of years. We can develop this for like a reasonable budget. We can make sure you make your money back and then some, you know, like pretty easily. And I don't think money is really something you have to worry about with Silent Hills because I think people are so ready for that to come back. And the recent success of newer Resident Evil games has shown that people are hungry for this shit and they'll buy these games off brand name alone. But I think Konami might be interested in trying something with a new developer, getting in for cheap, and I think Bluebird Team is a pretty good is a pretty good developer for that. So we'll keep our eyes on that one. But I don't have like much, you know, I don't have like any inside sources or anything. I don't I don't know anyone. I pretty much just talk to my my teddy bear and my girlfriend. But our next story here is from Windows Central and says Activision Blizzard's already confirmed that during a recent financial result conference that Diablo 4 won't be released in 2021, but they did reveal that something else would be coming out sooner. And now we know that's the long rumored Diablo 2 remaster. And it really is called, or and it's called Diablo 2 Resurrected. Resurrected is being developed by Blizzard Entertainment and Vicarious Visions, which was recently moved under Blizzard instead of Activision earlier this year because God hates us. The original 2D sprites have been converted into 3D graphics with 4K support. Naturally, this compilation includes both the original game and the expansion pack, Lords of Destruction. The sound effects and soundtrack are also being touched up with 7.1 surround sound support. If you don't dig the remade look, it's not a problem. Just like the Halo 1 Anniversary Edition, you can toggle the graphics with the button press, uh, go back to the original graphics, or just go back to the new one. You can do it flippantly, as kids like to do these days. And in addition to the game's graphics, all 27 minutes of original cinematics have been re- remade from the ground up. Diablo 2 Resurrected is coming to Series X, Series S, and PC and Xbox One. And the, and the game will support cross uh, full cross-progression on all platforms, including the other consoles, like the ones we don't talk about. So, I don't really have much to say about this either. Uh, we've kind of already gotten through the biggest news stories I want to talk about, but this is exactly what we thought Vicarious Visions was working on now that they were moved over to Blizzard and... You know, now that that's confirmed, I can't say that I'm surprised, but I am still disappointed. I know Diablo 2 is, like, a really beloved game, and this is exciting, and I, I might even give it a try. I don't fucking know. But, like, I, I can't really feign excitement for, like, a Diablo 2 remake when, like, that's not even really my genre to begin with. I'd rather play Minecraft Dungeons, to be honest with you. But more importantly, like, it, this this with this comes the removal of Vicarious Visions from Activision, and they were working on such great games over there, so... To me, this feels more like a loss, but I know Diablo 2 is a really beloved game, and I know people are going to be really pumped about this, and it sounds like they're doing it right, and I bet with Vicarious Visions here helming the project, they are totally in the right hands, so I'm sure this will be a good way to make good on Diablo, considering its recent fuck-ups with fans, with the uh, whole mobile game fiasco and everything from a few years ago that people were pissed about because people are just pissed about everything. But moving on, last week there was a Nintendo Direct. We ranted about it a little bit on the show, um, but unfortunately I didn't really watch the whole thing until after the podcast recording, so I did miss a few key stories, stories that pertain to Xbox rather than just the ranting I did. So from IGN, they report that Stubbs the Zombie uh, is returning with a re-release of the 2005 game Rebel Without a Pulse to be published by Aspire. 
Rebel Without a Pulse will be released on Xbox One and PC via Steam on March 16th, with the game being available via backwards compatibility on Series X and S. The re-release appears to not be a prior not be a proper remake, but more of a remaster with the game's official press release touting the return of the painfully slow force tutorial, but with achievements and trophies and modernized but with achievements and modernized controls available as part of the new version. In addition to that, during the Nintendo Direct, we also got the reveal that Fall Guys Ultimate Knockout, the cutesy obstacle course battle royale title uh, built by Devolver Digital and Mediatonic, was originally announced for the Nintendo Switch during the event, of course, as it is Nintendo Showcase, but thankfully, the news of this, of this game coming to Switch also meant the news of it coming to other platforms, namely Xbox consoles. It will release in the summer of 2021, with no full uh, fixed launch date yet. Uh, but in Fall Guys, but Fall Guys is also now leveraging Microsoft's PlayFab, GameStack, and Azure technologies to improve its online infrastructure. When the game blew up last year, server problems were a common complaint, but have since abated as Mediatonic grew to meet demand. So here are two new games coming to Xbox uh, that were, you know, previously rumored or on other platforms. Obviously, Fall, Fall Guys is an interesting one because when it first came out, it was like, Xbox needs to get this in fast, and it was it was obvious that Fall Guys would come to Xbox. It was one of those, like, when, not if kind of things. But the unfortunate thing is, it seems like the cultural phenomenon that is Fall Guys seems to have waned already. It seems to have been a little more flash in the pan than something like a Rocket League or a Minecraft or a Fortnite, right? So I, I'm sure the game is still plenty popular and doing really well, but the unfortunate thing here is that I feel like even though the game might get new life, especially since it's coming to Switch and everything just does well on Switch. But un unfortunately, it seems like it might be that kind of thing where by the time it gets to Xbox, people won't be as hyped on it. So maybe Xbox gamers will kind of be robbed a little bit of the proper experience. But I mean, I guess only time will tell on that. But nonetheless, we knew it was only a matter of time anyway before we got it here. Um, obviously, they probably had some deal with PlayStation because it was to release as a PS Plus game, but also, you know, it's a small team made the game. They probably didn't have the resources at the time to just put it on everything all at once. So, uh, good to see that's finally coming to Xbox, but unfortunate to see that it seems like it might be a little too late, but hopefully, you know, with it coming to Switch and all, maybe this will be the start of its, like, second big uh, push in popularity wave. Uh, the other thing, of course, being Stubbs the Zombie, which is, you know, most famous for being that Xbox original game that had on the case... Made in the Halo engine, which isn't really a promising way to market your game. It's not like, hey, look how awesome our game is. It's like, no, our game's pretty weak, but uh, it's made in the Halo engine, you know? So let that speak for itself, I guess. Like, who the fuck really knew what that meant back, you know, in 2004 or 5 or whatever? But that was a late OG Xbox game. But yeah, I never played that game. I always wanted to give it a try, but I'll definitely look into it now that I can play it on Xbox Series X. But yeah, that's a that's a quirky little callback that I think a lot of people will enjoy. I kind of look at this in the same vein that you look at like a Destroy All Humans, although this is a little more obscure of a game, but just kind of a callback to that era of like video games just being super goofy and wacky and gamey, and it's, it's nice to have some stuff like that available. But yeah, and then our final story here um, comes from IGN, and it's that Square Enix has announced that the uh, Xbox Series X version of Marvel's Avengers will arrive on March 18th. Uh, sooner than expected. Announced in the latest Marvel Avengers War Table, these next-gen versions of the game will release alongside Hawkeye in his operation Hawkeye Future Imperfect. Uh, so the Avenger character Hawkeye will be coming to the game. It's important to note that not only those who own Marvel's Avengers on Xbox One will be able to get the upgrade to next version for free, uh, the game will also support cross-generation play between 
PS, uh, PlayStation and Xbox consoles where players will also be able to transfer their saves between the versions. Also, PlayStation players will get some extra perks because uh, shit and fuck you and save and the same money goes a lot further when you buy a game on PlayStation and console favoritism. And I guess no one is supporting and I guess no one is supposed to bat an eye when PlayStation does shit like this, but I guess I'm a hypocrite because I'm complaining about it right now, but I play games like Call of Duty and Destiny, which always give PlayStation favoritism, I guess, and that kind of, yeah, so whatever. I don't get this. I mean, the the free upgrade to next gen and the cross-save and cross-play support and all that shit, that's awesome. But coming back after how bad this game flopped and being like, all right, guys, uh, we're going to bring you back in. Here's Hawkeye. It's like, guys... The only thing they could have done to try and bring this game back would have been if they were like Spider-Man and he's on Xbox, he's on PlayStation, he's on everything. And it's a big story dump and it's Spider-Man. So much Spider-Man content. Here is Spider-Man and Marvel's Avengers. That would have been like the closest thing they could do to try and reinvigorate this game. But like Hawkeye is like C or D tier Avenger. Like no one's going to be like, oh, fuck yeah. Like uh, um, uh, Hawkeye with the bow and arrow. Like, dude, even like, fucking winter soldier or falcon would have been a cooler addition because at least like falcon flies and winter soldier has like kick-ass machine guns right but like hawkeye just runs around with a fucking bow and arrow like who the fuck's like oh yeah you know my favorite superhero is the guy with a hunting bow it's like that's you might as well just play that fucking cabela hunting game and be like that's eh, basically marvel's avengers at this point i guess you know, it's like, what what is happening here? That they're just like, yeah, we have the premiere content that's going to keep the players coming back. And I, and I know the story was all that time ago that Spider-Man will come to the game, but he'll be PlayStation exclusive and fuck you, Xbox. But PlayStation still doesn't have Spider-Man, and Spider-Man would have been the character to save this game. So I don't know why their, their attack wasn't like, all right, guys, we need to get Spider-Man this fucking game for all platforms immediately because that's going to give get a lot of eyes on this all of a sudden but nope they didn't do that and they're just like ah here's hawkeye uh he's 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 not iron man he's not he's not captain america he's not thor he's not even fucking rocket rocket raccoon he's a he's goddamn hawkeye and he's equipped with a bow and an arrow at the same time so i don't think that will do much for the game but here's here's hoping i mean i want people to be able to enjoy it and i i wish square and crystal dynamic the best but i don't think that's going to do it for them now let's wrap up the show that's going to do it for all of our big news stories of the week we'll just we have a slew of important enough news stories stories important enough to make the podcast but not necessarily important enough to warrant their own game their own discussions our first one here is according to thr the halo tv show is changing platforms originally launched uh, originally set to launch on showtime the live action show uh telling the story of the halo universe will now be premiering on paramount plus streaming service the rebrand form of what was previously referred to as cbs all access the show is expected to premiere sometime in early 2022 so that got delayed again, and uh, who the fuck has more money and time for another video streaming service? So we'll we'll see if that show's now doomed, or maybe if that helps it. I don't fucking know. I feel like the best thing they could have done would be to get on HBO Max, or whatever they call that one. But anyway, Gears 5 Operations is our next story. Gears 5 Operation 6 will start to shorten Gears 5 Operation from 16 to 11 weeks, with each split content drop into two portions, the initial launch content and the mid-operation content. Each drop will contain at least two characters. When Operation 6 starts, Gears 5 players will have three new uh, characters with Colonel Victor Hoffman, Queen Reyna, and Locust Zealot. Uh, there will also be new a new map called Spare. Spire? Spear? Spear? 
All right. Next up, Blizzard Entertainment might uh, Blizzard Entertainment is giving players the ability to experience its earliest titles with plenty of unique quality of life upgrades through the Blizzard Arcade Collection, which is released now on PC. The collection includes uh, Blackthorn, a platform game originally uh, put out on the SNES and MS DOS in '94, the Amiga and NES puzzle platformer The Lost Vikings, and the combat-based game Rock and Roll Racing, which I I used to play that on SNES. I don't know why, but I had Rock and Roll Racing on SNES back in the day. Um, that's weird. Apparently, it was also on Genesis, though. Uh, I, I don't know why that was a game I physically had a copy of, but I, I remember that game well, and it's really stupid to know that. The release was uh, the first thing announced during the opening ceremony at BlizzCon Online. Uh, next, Sony Interactive Entertainment CEO Jim Ryan confirmed today. Yes, this is an Xbox podcast, but he confirmed today that Days Gone, the PlayStation exclusive, and other PlayStation games are coming to PC later in 2021. Speaking with GQ, Ryan confirmed that Days Gone would arrive in late spring 2021 with more games to follow. Just wanted to mention that because you know PC is pretty close to Xbox, and now we got some PlayStation games going multi-platform. Let's uh let's drink them fanboy tears. What was that about? Xbox not having any real exclusives because of PC, you fuckboys. Just kidding. Uh, our next one here is that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2 remake. Is a, uh, we'll be getting a next-gen update uh, on Series X and Series S on March 26. And then Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 uh, has seen already some leadership shakeups with a delay out of 2020. Now, publisher Paradox Interactive confirmed today that Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 is being delayed out of 2021, giving a really significant overall delay. Additionally, Hardsuit Labs will no longer be leading the development of the project, so the game is basically fucked. Welcome to development hell. Next, the latest Madden game from EA Sports, Madden NFL 21, is being added to EA Play in just a few weeks, as the publishers confirmed that a new subscription service will get the game out on March 2nd. So that's a really big get for Game Pass, guys. Uh, it's like one of the biggest games ever. That's like borderline i don't know that's like just a few steps away from like getting call of duty on game pass uh next up gdc 2021 is on the way and will be completely digital event this year the announcement comes alongside news that it'll be divided into three events which will take place uh online in uh in in line with plans for gdc 2021 that were shared a few months ago and lastly announced for series x and s xbox one and pc second extinction looks to be an intriguing first person shooter announced last may during the xbox series x third party uh, stream event after months of waiting xbox console players are finally uh they finally have some definitive news the game is coming to xbox game preview program in spring of 2021 so pretty damn soon all right guys that's gonna do it for all of our news this week now i'm actually gonna skip because it's just such a fucking long podcast this, this week. I'm actually going to skip. I'm going to skip the new game releases of the week. Because there are 19 new games coming out. And it's all just a bunch of gibberish and bullshit. And this episode's gone on super long. So if you really want to know the new game releases. I'm sure there are plenty of little pixely indie games for you to check out. But you got to go over to Xbox Wire. Because Daddy ain't going to read it to you this week. And then lastly, let's round out the episode with the games with gold of the month. As a final reminder for February... In these final days before we hit March, you got Gears 5 for the rest of the month. You got Resident Evil um, for the rest of the month. You've got Dandara Trials of Fear Edition available till March 15th. And you've got Lost Planet 2 for the last few days of the month. Now, Xbox did announce the March Games with Gold lineup. And what I want to mention here, first of all, is we're back down from five to four games with Games of Gold. And the game quality or the, the games list is significantly shittier this month in March than it was in February. So I just want to point out there that I said, you know, they announced game, Xbox Live Gold is going up in price and 
Games with Gold got a fifth game and higher quality games for Games with Gold. And I told you, there's definitely a correlation there. And now that they've reversed the decision to up the price of gold, we're back down to four games, and the four games are pretty weak compared to what we got in February. So I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's 100% a related occurrence. So I just want to point that out. But the four games coming in March are Warface Breakout, which is available for the whole month. And then from March 16th to April 15th, you've got Vicious Attack, Llama Apocalypse. And then for the first half of March until the 15th, you got Metal Slug 3. And then for the latter half of March, the 16th through the 31st, you got Port Royale 3. And with that said, guys, that is going to do it for our podcast this week. Guys, I got I got a little political here on the show. If you were offended, feel free to let me know. Feel free to challenge what I've said. I I don't object to that. I'm, I'm okay with that. I, I don't fear it. I won't insult you. I won't be mean. But I'm sorry that we had to get a little political. It's just the news called for it this week. It's, it's what people want to talk about. They don't want to play games and enjoy them. They want to just shit on things and complain about the lack of perspectives in their war games that are already trying to push the boundaries. It's like, if you want to complain about shit like that, fuck, why don't you uh, complain to Activision for how generic their Call of Duty games are, I guess. But I, that, here we are. You try to do something different. You try to do something cool. You can get shit on. So... I'm very tired. I've been podcasting for a long time tonight. This is a stupid long episode, and uh, I got a lot of editing to do. So with that, I'm going to leave you guys. I appreciate those of you stuck through the end. If you're gonna, if if you're not offended, if you're still planning on listening to future episodes of Xbox On, I appreciate that. Remember, you can always review the show on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at I'm Super Cool and Big Penis Guy six one six. And until next week, guys. You know, regardless of what Polygon or Kotaku say, you know, regardless of whether or not they try to tell you, at the end of the day, the only thing that no one here can try and take away from you or try to sensationalize or make controversial is the fact that only you have the uh, power to power your dreams.